Could you have to tell me more about that? What was the story? So I really decided I wanted to go surfing, and I was like, Ozzy, I think I'm going to try to Jimmy rig like, like a, a flight out there, but it's like one of those flights where I would have to jump out. <laughs> and I, I don't mind it, like, but anyways, so we get, I get down there, I, I squirrel suit in, and I'm like kind of close to Ozzy, he picks me up in his fucking pickup truck, and we, uh, he's like, hey, let's go surfing. I was like, yeah, I'll try surfing. I get on the water. Yeah, I get on the water and dude, it was crazy because like it's my first time and it was like lower tide and there was like cavern, like a a rock formation with a cavern and I fell off my board and my board got sucked into this cavern. And it took me with it because they're attached to your leg. Right. So Ozzy had to swim in and come and get like a bobber. I looked like a bobber. <laughs> Ozzy had to come get me. And then we're in the tunnel and we're like, we can't get back out. So we had to go in because high tide was coming in. And that's how I got sucked in. Right. So we had to keep going and we ended up walking in and there was like, we just noticed that it was like getting kind of like, looked like someone carved it out a long time ago. Oh, wow. And we walk in and just open up and, oh, shit. Um, yeah, that's the show I watched last night. We're talking about, dude, we're talking about Pirates of the Caribbean, I think. Uh, Johnny Depp, one of my favorite, uh, one of my favorite actors. I don't know. I don't know what you guys are talking about. Uh, great movie. Max and the gas tank. Boom, boom. Yar, all that kind of stuff. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Portland Cannabis Tasting Society. Uh, welcome to uh, Chronic Table. This is the live portion of the Portland Cannabis Tasting Society. Hopefully in a little bit, we'll be joined by uh, Western Horticulture. Uh, let's see here. If not, maybe there's some technical issues. Maybe we'll uh, have a show that's basically just us. But uh, hopefully we'll be talking about something a little bit more on the unusual side. We're always talking about, uh, you know, no-till this and freaking worms that and blah, blah, blah. Actually, there's some, some interesting people on sort of a, not the other side. It's not a different side, but a, a different side of the perspective. Anyway, uh, ladies and gentlemen, first off the hop, if you are 21 and over, make sure that you're... Uh, you know, your freaking coolers are freaking full. Uh, uh, it's been horrifyingly hot around me. I don't know about you guys. So make sure your, your tasty beverages are, are, are cool. Or I don't know if you like hot beverages. I guess check those, you freaking weirdo. Uh, check check basically that you have something refreshing. See, oh, freaking D's got, well, but you're, it's like raining where you are. So I don't know. It was like 115 degrees Fahrenheit. People listen to Celsius, they're like, what? Holy shit. Anyway, that was still plenty hot. Uh, Fahrenheit is still plenty hot. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, if you are 20 minutes over, make sure that your, your beverages are stocked and uh, all that stuff. Uh, if you are under the age of 21, I have bad news for you. Actually, West yeah, Engine, man. West Engine, you, you look like... Yeah, the news, man. Your, your color is like, it's like red. You're like all furious. Yeah, man. Oh. Furious, like, because I've been on the sun all day. Hot, my blood boil, man. That's it, Let me man. tell you. But if they're not 21 yet, Margaret, tell them what they do. They have to get out, take your ass, and get out of here. You can't stop in here. Bumble clap, move your ass. That's it. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, well, kids, really, if you're still straggling, if you're still not listening, it, it, there's really only one thing you have to do. West Engine, one more time. What is it again? Get out, man. That's get it. out. That's time for, man, get out. That's it. No miscommunications there. Uh, so now that it's just us, uh, ladies and gentlemen, some of you guys are coming back from the kitchen, probably. Uh, welcome back. Uh, what was I going to say? Uh, you know, thanks for joining us. Thanks for joining the show. Uh, what are we going to talk about? Uh, well, shit, if we don't talk about uh, uh, horticultural stuff with uh, Western horticulture, we'll just kind of 
I don't know, we'll BS about uh, strains and stuff. We'll see how it goes here in a second. Uh, if you guys enjoy the show, make sure to check it out on uh, iTunes, Spotify, uh, Google Podcasts. Uh, a lot of people just kind of listen to it on Google Chrome, which is kind of fun. Uh, let's see here. What else? Uh, Pandora, a bunch of other different uh, podcasting platforms. I just realized I completely forgot to do anything about SoundCloud. Okay, that's on me. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, that's my problem, not yours. Uh, what was I going to say? If you guys would like to see the show be bigger, faster, stronger, go check it out on uh, patreon.com. Look up Chronic Table and uh, join the fellow patrons. I always feel like there's another announcement that I'm missing. Maybe I should just make one up. Maybe I should just say, like, uh, canoes, they are good. They take you on the water. They are paddleable. You can paddle a canoe. I don't know. We'll use that as a placeholder for whatever it is that I can never think about telling you guys. Uh, other than that, let's see here. I'm puffing. You know what? I'm puffing of all things. Kind of a weird one for me to start with. I'm puffing uh, Black Lime Reserve. Uh, this is a plant that actually I haven't been able to dial in my garden too well. Uh, I've only gotten the flower at actually once. So that frankly, that's cheating. Uh, but honestly, the plant is like perpetually somehow displeased with me. So uh, it's just always one of those like... Uh, um, uh, how do I put it? It's like an object lesson that like, no matter what you think you are or how good you think you are or anything else, like, dude, don't get so fucking cocky. Like, here's a plant that just doesn't give a shit. It's just like, I, I don't know you. Who the fuck are you, man? I don't know you. I, I mean, That's all my woman usually goes on to what the fuck? I mean, shit, dude. So this is that plant, man. This is that plant. It's like, I don't know you. What the fuck? Anyway, I'm smoking this plant, tasty plant, but the fucking plant doesn't know me. What was I going to say beyond that? Uh, I guess that's it. I'm basically just babbling. Uh, who the fuck was in here? D. I think D was in here first. D, welcome, my friend. You weren't in the, in the house first? He's like, no, no, man, no. I wasn't, but I can go first. That's no problem. What's going on, dude? Welcome. Mmm, brains. shine. It was raining here today. It's kind of cool. Lucky for us here in Ontario, Canada, eh? Um, Hmm. I'm smoking on the same as, oh no, I'm smoking on uh, pink gas, or uh, pink kush uh, chatter, and I also got some flour here. Uh, cheers, everybody. Oh, and shout out to everybody listening, all the Russians and Italians and maybe Italians and whoever else is listening in there. What up? Thank you for listening. Cheers. Let me refresh my link here for a second. By the way, yeah, we have some uh, uh, Bulgarians. Oh, I just almost stopped the stream. Bulgarians listening in, Finns. Uh, weirdly enough, Bulgarians are in like third place right now. Like, if I had to guess without ever checking like statistics or something off the top of my head, I'd be like, who's number three? I'd be like, oh, it's probably Australians or UK or something. But no, it's actually like Bulgarians listening to the show, like in third place. So, hello. Wouldn't that be funny? What, what are, where do you think they are from? Are they actually from uh, Romania and they just don't want to admit it? No, I think well, they're like, using. I, I wonder if they closed caption us. That's what I think about. What if they closed caption us in Bulgarian? Yeah. I'd love to like some the voice. Yeah, if you ever, if you ever up. catch this. So if you are like reading our like stuff in Bulgarian, take a picture and send it to one of us because we'd love to see it. <laughs> By the way, or would it be like would it be like talking like Bruce Lee in the Bulgarian language? I would love to see the translation on me kicking the miners out. 
I'm just trying to refresh the, the invite link. We're trying to get West Coast uh, horticulture in the room here. Trying, trying, trying. We are get in, get in. Phone, so hopefully we're going to get this working. Uh, endorsed is a, kind of a super cool guy. Uh, welcome, by the way, to the chat. I guess I forgot to uh, say hello to you guys. Welcome, Dirt Road Dude, Gray Sun, uh, Supreme Grape. Welcome, Decoy Bacon. Always freaking fooling me. I always think it's bacon. And I was like, oh, shit, it's a decoy. Uh, Mike's in the house. Welcome. Of course, I have to burp basically every time I say Mike's. Uh, Captain 420, welcome, dude. Uh, welcome, Stang Man, Introvert. Cheers, dude. Uh, who else is in here? Richard, welcome, my friend. Welcome, Richard. Uh, who else in the house? Spartan, I seen Spartan out there. What's up, buddy? In the house. Welcome, Spartan. Johnny's already in the house. Welcome. Uh, looks like it's a freaking party already. Uh, worm food already. Cheers, everybody. Uh, what was I going to say? Uh, sit back, relax, uh, stay a while. Uh, you know, drop a question in the chat. Drop a, I don't know, comment, concern, whatever, positive concern. Uh, once we get West Coast uh, horticulture on here, guys, if you have any uh, questions for him, hopefully we'll get this working because it's a very, um, I think, a little bit of an unusual perspective an unusual kind of part of the scene we're always talking about especially with coot when potent comes on here we're always talking about like um well how do i put this you always kind of talk about the stuff that you're closest to right so like i basically work with like a, a no-till i don't i don't use a lot of bottled stuff i don't use any bottles really i have a little bit of humic acid that's about it uh the rest is just basically some granular top dress whatever and just freaking water you know what i mean or maybe i'll dissolve some sugar in the water like there's no bottles to speak of same thing when we talked to Kud, we talked to a lot of other people that do, let's say, even compost teas or even, even potent ponics. He does some bottled, like mineralized bottle supplementation, but even that, most of it's not bottle feeding. And yet there is some decent bottle feeding regimens. Uh, Gondragor is a big fan of the nectar, what do they call it? The ne uh, nectar for the gods from uh, Oregon's only. I used to use that with pretty good results. Uh, then there's the, from Holland, there's the uh, one thing they all share is actually fermented. They're all fermented. Uh, what did you say the one from Holland is? Is that Dutch the BioBiz from Europe? Bio uh, a lot of folks really swear by that BioBiz. Um, dude, it's it's a it's a total cult. Like every one of those those companies, they become like a cult. Like the people that use their stuff, it's like, oh man, don't don't talk dirty about my cult. Da, 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 da. <laughs> That's uh, like New Millennium. Same shit. Another one, yeah. Except they're synthetic, but yeah, they're they're really really uh. The people there are super loyal for their freaking new mill stuff. Uh, what was I going to say? Well, this uh, West, West Coast horticulture is uh, a little bit less flashy, maybe more under the radar version of those kinds of same things. So he's got his own kind of funny way. He's got a calcium bottle. So we always laugh about CalMag. So I, want, I hope he comes on because I want to ask him about like, tell me about your calcium bottle. Just for giggles because everybody always wants to know about calcium and stuff. So okay, what's, what's going on here? Uh, gentlemen, what else is new? What's going on, West Engine? Uh, sorry, I was muted there. Big up, Fuminor. Big up, Ozzy. D, smashed, Gandragor. Hope everybody else is chat as well. Big up all the chat. Uh, everything's going great, man. Uh, enjoying the heat. I mean, we don't get much of it up this far north, so I'm taking in what I can and enjoying and making the best of it. Um, it's pretty goddamn hot up here, 40 degrees Celsius. I don't know where the, what that sits at in, your, in, um, in uh, Fahrenheit there. So, But it's pretty warm. It's a nice day. But uh, yeah. How about you, Gandagor? Uh, or... Your hair has looked better. Today is not yeah, your good not... hair day. No, it's wet right now, bro. <laughs> Look at your balls, huh? <laughs> Cheers. Cheers, everybody. Cheers, chat. Thanks, Fumi. Um, yeah. 
just uh, excited to hear a little about about this as well. I like uh, these guy. Uh, this guy's got uh, the bottles, but he's also got uh, all the bags too. So I like his bag packaging. He's gone really simple with that too. Kind of like a a little bit like uh, Builder Soil with the way they're packaging stuff. So it's kind of cool. But yeah, what's going on with you, D? Ozzy. Ozzy. You're muted. Hello. G'day. G'day from freezing ass Australia. Just putting <laughs> up all that funny heat. It's, um, I got a, a post thing that said, oh, some message thing. It was from Whistler and it says Whistler was over 40 and it shows like the glaciers in the background and it's 40 degrees Celsius and the 40. <coughs> what's that? It's just over 100. 41F is 100. So it's pretty damn hot. So I feel for you guys. But, um, oh, the outdoors love it though. Good time to get the outdoors cranking. Can't complain about that. At least it's better than the opposite. Um, and today here it's 14. It's not too bad. This is like for the middle of winter stuff. So 14 Celsius is like nearly 60. So that's pretty good. So it's, um, yeah, it's not too bad at all. Blue skies. I got me the mighty cranking just under me last one of the mighty. <laughs> Rations again. Always good. Until you go to clean it. Lance, I'm sorry, to, or I'm sorry, Ozzy, to interrupt. Uh, anybody that has, I had an iPhone 6S. It worked fine with uh, Zoom. West Coast, uh, Coast Horticulture has an iPhone 6. Uh, right now, it's not working. Does anybody have any experience not having luck with an iPhone 6? Maybe the Zoom wasn't working or some shit. My mom has. Did he download the app? Tell him to get the app. Uh, yeah. You guys having any trouble oh, with it? No, I never had a trouble. Normally, in ios i think you got to download the app because it won't from like our link or a link it won't bring you right into downloading the app like yeah the, the other thing about iphone 6 is that depending upon what what vendor you have uh like if he's on verizon he most certainly won't be able to get it on the app store sadly like they don't support iphone 6 whatsoever verizon doesn't support so if he has a verizon he's shit out of luck for any support on iPhone 6. I had to upgrade my kids because he had an iPhone. My youngest had an iPhone 6 and he had to be upgraded because it didn't support anything anymore. So he can't even go to the Apple <laughs> That's app ridiculous. Support. Yeah, the app support was not supported anymore. He couldn't download any apps anymore with the iPhone 6 yeah. on the Verizon yeah. network. You have to like Jimmy Wright stuff. Or something on, on Wi-Fi yeah. to download something or no? Um... It didn't work right. That's the problem. See, we, he had to go to a whole different thing because it wasn't working right. It was it's kind of screwy. So what happens is the firmware in the, in the iPhone doesn't just it doesn't support the updated versions of the apps. So what normally you have to do with old iOS devices is you have to downgrade the app itself and get the older version, and it will work. It's so fucking weird. I have an old iPad that. I had to downgrade, like I couldn't get YouTube on it forever. And I was like, it just won't download. And then I finally read about it. I read a little into it and it said, you specifically have to go into your library and then click download like last version and shit. It's a pain in the ass.
Now you can oh, get yeah. it on all devices though, like any Palm device, like even an Amazon Palm device, any of the like Amazon Fire tablet or anything like that, it works fine on. Those are more forgiving. Well, link to the to the App Store for Zoom. Um, the link should open up on Safari on the phone. I mean, when I click the link myself, uh, Zoom may not be supported on my browser. Interesting. Yeah. Maybe I'm sending my, some kind of a bad link. All right. I the same link that I send everybody else. That'd be kind of weird. So you can just you can give them the numbers, give them the meeting room ID and password separately, and then he could just go right into the app alone, and just plug those numbers in, and it'll work just as fine. That way, yeah, that works. Yeah, it's not working. I've had that problem before on devices. Uh, who else haven't we talked to? Let's see. Ozzy, uh, what's going on, my friend? We actually uh, talked over you. What's going on? Trying to figure this shit out. Um, not much. I was kind of finished. Uh, I had not much, really. I've just been studying shitloads and um, loving it. I really love that shit. When you just find out stuff about plant science, you go, oh, really? Is that why that happens? You go, oh, is that? That's just, I just love that shit. Eh? So I've just been finding stuff like that. And um, yeah, that's about it. Looking forward to doing some more of that. <laughs> uh, what else has been going on? Not much, really. Just been chilling, having I fun, just, smoking. Cheers, everyone. I just got that uh, Hero Nine there, the uh, with the uh, stabilization lens package and all that crap. Oh, that's pretty wacky. I wouldn't go. There's just low light on the GoPro is not good at all. Low light on all of them is not good, so it doesn't even matter. I thought of at first, and then I looked at, then I looked at all the Insta 360 shit, and it was no better. None of them. I was thinking the One X2, then I was thinking the the DJI perfect. one's decent. The Osmo. Yep. For Osmo 4K. Yeah, that's, not, that's not so good at all. I love the Osmo 4K, man. Um, it's good for the price, I think, but um, I think all of them have low light issues. The only one that has any sort of low light capabilities whatsoever is the one with the Leica, which is the the Insta360 uh, one, one inch, right? modular. You can buy that modular Zeiss lens. Yeah, the modular is weird though. But it's not. Uh, nope. Here we go. Oh, what's up, guys? I didn't say hi, but I'll say hi real quick. Hope everyone's having a great day. Don't forget to change from top chat to live chat. I'm smoking on Gorilla Cookies from my garden. My dehu broke today. It blows, but I hope we have a good show. All right, let's get back. <laughs> uh, he'll probably take a second here to set up. Uh, dude, it's a pain in the ass. We were talking about that before. Like sometimes, sometimes those fuckers will last for years and years and years, but then when they break down, what are you going to do? If it's in the middle of the night or something, like that's kind of a bad situation. Like if you're like late in flower and it's like you're super humid and stuff, like, Dude, that could be a problem, right? Yeah, for sure. Thank God I'm like, it's under 65. So I'm all right right now. It broke last night because I went down there and there's no water in the fucking bucket. So I, I, it must have shit the bed last night. And then that scares me because it was running the way it was all night. 
But right now I just have it on fan because it doesn't kick the motors on. And I have the side door of my tent open. I, I bought another inline fan. So I'm just trying to get as much fucking airflow through there as I possibly can. Right on. Uh, by the way, welcome to uh, our guest. Uh, uh, presumably, it is uh, West Coast uh, West Coast Horticulture. Feel free to, to you know sit back, relax. Uh, uh, I don't know how familiar you are with uh, talking. Welcome. There you are. I don't know how familiar. I'm, familiar I'm just figuring out the app here. Sorry. Right on. No worries. Uh, should we call you by West Coast Horticulture or or by your name? What should we call you? you call me Charles. Right on, Charles. Welcome. Uh, man, we've been through all the intros, so actually we get to talk to you, honestly. Uh, welcome. You, you, you uh, were recommended many times uh, to me, basically, to come on the show by uh, none, other than, none other than Clackamas Coot. Our audience knows Clackamas Coot really well. Uh, Jim Bennett, he's been saying, hey, for a different perspective, somebody's been doing it for a really, really long time. I think he said that you've been doing it basically since before the MMJ laws in Oregon. So like more than maybe 20, 25 years, you've been working on... Uh, ferments, I think plant-based ferments mostly for feeding plants in nurseries, all kinds of different uh, uh, fields too, not just can uh, cannabis and hemp, I think. But um, just based on that, I think who was saying you have a really different, interesting perspective. Is that more or less what you're into or tell us a little bit about yourself? I mean, yeah, that, that's some of what I've been doing. I mean, the ferments is, is part, part of what, it, what I've been up to, but we've been, you know, kind of all over the place focusing on sourcing all kinds of different materials uh, uh, meals and tried doing a, a, a cannabis farm also for a while and gave up on that one uh, in, in the regulated market and so it's been been sticking to doing a fertilizer business for the last 12 years it's kind of kind of been what I've been focused on how do I put this? Uh, we're always talking about, uh, you have a couple different uh, parts of the sort of the, the fertilizer business, right? Like you do a lot of different, here, I'll show you your website here in a second. Uh, you do a lot of different um, solubilized liquid, uh, 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 basically bottle nutrients, essentially organic bottle nutrients for feeding through drip lines and stuff. But you also do, like you said, had the, have uh, neem cake and everything. I was going to get into that, honestly, in a little bit. Uh, how do I say this? Um, I haven't honestly interviewed somebody that, that, that talks to, or that, how do I put this here? I'm going to let uh, Smash Garden in. We interview a lot of breeders and stuff on the show. So I've just kind of gotten used to talking about, you know, strains and whatever. And so I'm, I'm trying to wrap my head around something that we've always, on some level, poo-poo. We're like, oh no, you know, bottles are terrible, terrible, terrible. But like, they're not always terrible, right? Like, how do I say this? You, you feed very healthy plants and build soil, right? Right. Well, yeah, you can, you can use liquid nutrients is one way to get nutrients to the plant i'm not sure why so many people say bottled nutrients are worse than nutrients that come in in bags um i i i i, I often wonder that and i think it's maybe because people think i mean i don't know um a, a lot of the people are getting meals that they turn into different ferments or just mix into the soil or top dress but all of the meal bags have plastic liners inside of them in between the paper layers to prevent the oils from coming out so they're just as not recyclable as plastic bottles so that's kind of where I, I don't see a whole lot of difference between the two except for weight and shipping does that uh, make sense 
It does. Honestly, uh, how do I say this? Um, I don't know. I guess there's different perspectives. Uh, we've said before, or I've said, tried to say on the show before that um, on some level, the specific way you grow is a lot less important, seems like, at least I've observed, I've heard a lot of people say the same thing, way less important than the light you grow with, way less important than you yourself as a grower, way less important than the strains that you grow with. And so we do focus a lot on these like, oh, you grow with bottles, you grow with this, you grow with that. Oh, that makes a huge difference. Doesn't really make that big of a difference compared to all the other stuff first. Right. Genetics. That's the main thing, right? Without good genetics, then you're not going to ever have anything good. But yeah, it, it all it all matters every every little part of it. Uh, I'm apparently having like every single freaking uh, technical issue here. My internet's a little bit slow. All right, we're going to get there in a second. There we go. Uh, what was I going to say? I forgot to even introduce, who uh, was basically saying it better than I did. He said that uh, West, uh, West Coast horticulture uh, has been and continues to be a solid choice for serious producers. The extra specific, Coot uh, has very kind of specific, uh, precise language when he talks. And he basically said that you are... Uh, a serious choice for serious producers. So I guess to say like, how do I put this? Um, we like to talk about our kind of home grows and our closet hobby grows as if they're scalable on some level, right? And then we basically have some people that would come by and be like, oh, uh, Spartan's probably in the chat right now. They, they work at commercial facilities that don't have any room for error, don't have any room for like one employee that knows the, the secret sauce and the other employees don't. Like you have to have always like a very verifiable system one of the first things I saw on you, I realized these questions are whipsawing all over the place. Sorry, I guess it's been hot for a couple of days. Forgive me. Uh, nice, uh, nice. It's, it's been like 100,000 degrees. Like I'm surprised I know my my brain brain works. Right? Anyway, uh, how do I put this? I was just getting to like uh, the idea that there's maybe something good about, maybe, that, that there could be something good about a predictable liquid feed regimen that you basically, you have a, I'm gonna show it here in a second. You know, fertilizer use rates, it, it makes it very predictable um, for, a, a, um, for kind of a factory growth scenario, right? So this is the worst question I think I've ever asked the show. <laughs> this is a great beginning of the show. <laughs> Sorry, go for it. West Coast Horticulture. Feel free to change the subject if you'd like to. So, yeah, I mean, it is. it, it, it does make it predictable but it, i don't know that it makes it any more predictable than using a, a premix or a top dress method as long as you keep records whoa did you disappear there oh i just i'm trying to show you your website here oh okay yeah, for, uh, yeah. we're just gonna blame it on heat stroke like you said you guys don't even understand like i tried to walk the dog and it, it was like a billion degrees outside at like nine o'clock p.m i went to costco yesterday i was like i'm gonna brave it and basically sweat through all my i mean like oh my god Human beings are not designed to live in that kind of heat. All right, we're going to back it up here. Looking at the West Coast Horticulture website. Forgive us, everybody, for this. Uh, we were under apparently a heat dome. I was going to ask him about the neem cake here in a second because you have a funny like connection to, to Coot actually with the, the neem cake. Uh, so I've used a couple of your products, but I was using them. It's been, I don't know, it's been honestly like a few years. I kind of used them when I still use the nectar stuff. Uh, and I didn't give them a fair shot. I have to be honest. I just kind of got maybe like a sample bottle. And I just, I just kind of threw it in. Everybody that I've talked to has had actually really good results with your stuff. I guess I could reel this back. Like how, how does your system work? Like instead of asking me like random silly questions, how does your system work? It's organic. Um, it's plant-based. Who was very specific actually about 
kind of all your guys' connection is that you source your stuff locally. So unlike a lot of people who actually they'll source their stuff from Asia or whatever else, even the organic uh, uh, amendments, they'll, it'll be, you know, bat guano from the Philippines or Indonesia or something. You, I think, try to get as much as you can locally or locally processed as possible. Is that right? Yeah, we grow all the neem at my house. Got it. No, no, we import it from India. No, the, the neem's all from India. Um, but yeah, as far as other stuff, we try to source locally for, for like our, uh, for our ferment products. We, we source that all uh, locally and all of our other minerals we get from U.S. sources. Um, but the neem is all from India, from South India. That's like the best quality neem that we can find is, is in South India compared instead, to other, other I guess places. Instead of teasing it, I might as well say, uh, basically, Coot was saying that uh, you guys have a mutual friend. And I guess because of that mutual friend, let's see here. The mutual friend is, it sounds like a really cool guy to have on the show. Um, Mickleberry Gardens, I guess, it basically does a lot of, um, let me show his uh, Instagram here in a second, does a lot of uh, flower extracts, honey extracts, pollen and everything else, and apparently knows really good sourcing and basically connected the two of you. And uh, uh, Coot evidently heard about this wonderful neem cake straight from India. Is that basically what happened? Yep, that's true. Yeah, I mean, I've been friends with the, the Mickleberry people for a couple decades and um yeah they're they're uh, they're pretty cool they got into the the herbal herbal honey medicine stuff uh about maybe by the time that i i started uh, west coast and uh, they were they they knew coot or jim Hold on. I, I was in the herbal medicine business before i was in the west coast uh fertilizer thing i worked in the herbal medicine for about 10 years at a, at a company where we made uh, naturopathic formulations and herbal herbal formulations for naturopathic doctors and, and such. Right on. Uh, I, I yeah, this is one of these days where I'm literally trying to type the name, and every time it like auto completes, I try to click it, and it com auto completes to somebody else. So yeah, ladies and gentlemen, it's like. Uh, I have a few questions. Go for it. Um, please. Okay. Um, now I do a lot of jidam and whatnot. Um, uh, and as I understand it, the stuff is, uh, usually best. My ferments are usually best fresh. Uh, how do you shelf stabilize your, uh, ferments? Well, that's one of our biggest problems. They don't shelf stabilize very well. So we have these little, um, vented caps that have a membrane and a hole in the plastic and a membrane that's supposed to just allow gas and not liquid to come through. So if it's working properly, the gas will come out and the, the, the bottle won't blow and explode all over the shelf. So essentially but it keeps fermenting on the shelf? Keeps fermenting. However, if the, the membrane gets too clogged from splashing, which happens, then the, the thing will blow and then it's a problem. So it's an annoying, annoying situation to deal with. <laughs> and we run into problems with that. Like recently, people had it explode all over their faces and stuff. I and mean, usually that doesn't happen too much, but it happened recently. So, okay. Yeah. And I haven't found any great way around that except those okay. it lids. I mean, that's, and they don't always work. And uh, are there any specific plants that you find are extra valuable to ferment? Uh, like, was there any ones that you found that are just like above and beyond or what do you figure? 
not necessarily i mean it's so many so many options out there to choose from really i mean things that are good high in protein are good you know because the more protein the more nitrogen so um uh things that things that are clean clean and clean and higher in protein in general and your 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 line obviously we would uh offers offers like a grow supplement as well as a bloom supplement then too like kind of deal yes uh like how many pieces we talking to uh to your system um so for the minimum, I would use three parts. I would use like uh, the base, which would be either your bloom or grow, depending on what phase you're in, and then um, a micro and a calcium. So it'd be a three part for your base minimum that you would need. Cool, cool. Huh? Hey, what is in that calcium? Of- What's in that calcium uh, bottle? Is that just calcium nitrate, calcium phosphate? No, calcium- no that's calcium carbonate that's been... Um, okay bonded with uh, plant vegetable protein cooked into oh, it. So it's got aminos and proteins and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Nice. so it's got a tiny amount of nitrogen, but we don't claim nitrogen on it, even though there's a tiny amount in there. Uh, but it's it's a good calcium source, liquid calcium that, that is organic. Cool. And then the micronutrient, that would have your molybdenum and uh, other yep. sort of uh, metals. Yep. Or- yep, all all of all of the the micro metals that that plants need are in the the, uh, the micronutrient formula. And are you and using a, are you using a uh, fulvic or a or a, a humic acid with that? No, 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 we don't. We don't have anything like that. We um. That's what full on and biowag's done is kind of gone that direction with their micronutrients. Yeah, I haven't really found that that that's necessary or seen a huge benefit i mean it might be something that's helpful but um i just haven't haven't been convinced yet to do that or focus on that Uh, i looked at that a lot for a while but then i just kind of moved on and and just sticking with the the basics though i'm not against it i'm not saying don't use it i'm just saying that you know i I haven't needed to so yeah Uh, yeah what works i kind of like designed my system to kind of be pretty basic very very basic and as as basic as possible and so that's i've looked at these guys bust my chops about using bottles but it does allow you to use smaller pots and be able to really kind of grow big plants in small pots (laughs) yeah what's the advantage of it honestly what's why would you do it that way as opposed to let's say the the coots mix you know without kind of going into the details but you know just building a soil letting it go with water why would you do it your way um, I mean, I think both ways are good, really. I don't know if there's any, any, any it's more like what's working better for the style of the situation you have set up. Um, I think a lot of, a lot of people who mix stuff or do a pre-mix like, like, like Coots mix and, and then grow it out. It doesn't produce consistently time after time. Um, and so they want it to produce more consistently. Um, and so they will use some kind of liquid feed on top. Um, but that, I think that that's one of the big, big reasons if you had a, you know, if a commercial, uh, environment, it was, you had to keep producing, but even without, uh, the liquids, if you're just doing like the, uh, premix and then some top dressing, you could do that and continue to do pretty well, but you just have to be more, 
diligent in testing your soil uh, to get to find out what the soil is at or between crops. That, that's what I've seen. Like, um, people have known that we're very successful for a little while using all the premix method, like, like Goots method. The soil stopped producing well after a while. So they started doing a soil sample test every six, six weeks into flowering. And then after, and then following recommendations based on what the soil looks like at six weeks, every, every harvest. And that seemed to improve the like, situation a lot. And that's kind of, uh, I guess Ganja Grower has never really said it that way, but I guess he was getting to that. Like he, he, he and other bottle growers that have come on the show before, and we're, we're talking about more of the organic bottle growers. There's, there's a few of them, right? We, we were talking about it before the show. There's a few companies that make kind of uh, organic nutrients that you can feed your plants. Uh, they say, hey, we can get away with a lot of stuff that you guys maybe can't get away with. I don't know if that's always true, but they say like they can you know, correct deficiencies. That's one of the first things they said. They can correct deficiencies at the drop of a hat. I mean, you have calcium, you can defend You have magnesium, calcium, micronutrients. You can, you can uh, uh, fix problems whenever you see them. You can uh, constantly build soil. That was the other one you were getting to before that you kind of, um, I guess with, I don't know, what do you think, Undergrower? You were getting to that, that you can use a small pot to basically like are you trying to say that you're getting away with a small pot or that you are building? Yeah, yeah, you're, you're giving more nutrients in a smaller pot and keeping them happy and getting bigger. They're not getting as root bound. They're not getting, they're happy. You can get big plants with uh, small pots. And small pots in a small tent is ideal because you don't have to manage as much. The smaller the pot, the less humidity you got to deal with. The less, uh, you know, it's easier to move them around and that kind of stuff. Well, and then you have more dry out cycles probably too, which could be beneficial because the more dry out cycles you have, the faster your plant will grow theoretically. The dry out cycles are actually beneficial too for uh, uh, terpene production. There's been some research by some of our friends on uh, dry down cycles leading potentially to some exotic terpenes and stuff. Is that potentially a tie-in where instead of having like a wet Boots mix or I don't know, whatever, a no-till mix or something that's kind of constantly moist. Maybe you do have like a dry down cycle every time that you then refeed with uh, like bottled nutrients. Is that is that something that you've heard about before? Or? I mean, I, I, I've seen people do that. Most of the people I know, they won't try that because they want to stick to what, what they think is the best, which is keeping it moist all the time. Um, but uh, I, I've seen a few people do that more, not, not for the terpenes, but to control uh, fungus gnats uh, mm. because fungus gnats tend to get out of and other bugs get out of control more when there's no dry out cycles happening in the top layer um but i i'm pretty certain that dry out cycles cause more terpenes to show up um i learned about that originally from fire uh fire chief because trees produce terpenes in response to drying and trees become a lot more flammable when they're full of terpenes from it being very dry. And so forest, forest fires are more likely to happen on trees that are full of terpenes from super dry conditions. That, that's originally how I learned that dry out cycles affect cannabis and make it produce more terpenes. So I've been trying to convince my friends that grow no-till to do some more drying out in the no-till style. And a few of them have done it. It seems like it might help, but it's really hard to tell because even people that are not drying out their stuff is still amazingly tasty 
depending on you know the strain and stuff so, so i mean i use all i use the only bottled thing i use technically would be the worm power which is worm juice um and i do dry down cycles i've always done dry down cycles in my indoors one to help with humidity um it, it, it seems like if you give it a couple of days um to dry out the soil at least a little bit like it doesn't go completely dry but you catch it right before they wilt it seems like and it seems like once you water that plant it gets more vigorous yep they, they tend to get a good growth spurt right when they're getting towards the edge of being dry i, I have noticed that for years that when, right when they're drying down they start to grow a lot or the or the buds will fill out a lot Special, man. Uh, it's been so long. I thought I was going to have uh, uh, easier questions because I used to grow with kind of uh, a bottle nutrient stuff. It was a total part of my life uh, uh, getting started. And I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to get my head back in that. Like, it's, there's nothing wrong with it. I'm not trying to say there's something wrong with it. I'm just trying to say, like, for some reason, I'm blanking. Dude, I don't know. I'm just going to use the excuse that I was hot for three days. It's not a very good excuse, but we're just going to go well, with it. I've wondered for years why there was a big movement against bottled nutrients myself. Well, tell us, honestly, tell us what you're, like, th this is your chance I've, to shine at least on this show. Go for it. Well, please. a lot of my friends got against bottled nutrients at one point many years ago after using them for a long time. And I would say, why are you against bottled nutrients? Because it almost seemed a little dogmatic in the way they're talking about it. So like, why are right. you against it? And they say, well, because a lot, it's more expensive and it, it creates more waste. And so I do the math and I say, well, yeah, maybe it is more expensive. In most cases, that is true. That makes sense. So that's a valid reason right there, if, if that's the case. And then to, um, the other big reason is that it creates plastic waste. Um, which uh, if you're only making your own own ferments or digging up your own stuff and making your own fertilizer, that's true. But if you're buying like kelp meal or, or any kind of meal in a paper bag, like I said, they come in with plastic in between the layers. So I, I couldn't buy into that part of that argument. Um, so I, I never fully decided that I was against bottled nutrients based, uh, based on those understandings. No, I definitely don't consider your product bottled nutrients. I consider it something very different. Um, the reason I don't like bottled nutrients is the runoff going into the water, running down into the oceans, causing the algae plumes to then choke out fish. And, and right. uh, yeah, there's, there's, so, so there is a negative effect to it. Oh, yeah. Um, so from yours, from yours does not do that at all. Right. That can come from powdered nutrients, too, that are just not used properly, that people create runoff and let it go into the environment. I mean, that, that Specific, happens. Specifically, bottle nutrients, I'd say the reason the reason I think most of us have opposed them is because they're mostly water. Um, they're yep. mostly water. That's mostly what you're paying that, for. That, yep. That's a fact. You're paying for shipping weight. Yeah. I think I think that's why why most of us oppose, uh, oppose the bottle of nutrients, really. Right, and that's a valid reason because it's a e ecologically less sound because you're spending energy to ship stuff around that's water, and so that makes sense. I thought of uh, bottle nutrients because um, actually I use the the nectar ones, whatever. It, it's it was uh, one of the other kind of competitors. I use them with pretty decent results. But I thought of them as restaurant food. Is there anything to that, or is there um, 
how do I say this? Because uh, your 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 nutrients are fermented, solubilized, ready to go. Is it different? Is it more like um, I don't know. Is it more like a like one of those green shakes you get at at a, at a gym or something or what? Oh, I, <clears throat> I mean, it could be compared to that. I guess it's it's packaged food. I mean, if if you had a huge farm, you might bring in like dump truck loads of stuff or train car loads of stuff and dump it out like that. Um, or if you have a you know like a, a a backyard garden, you could pull stuff out. So it's it's comparable like that, I guess. To <clears throat> if you're putting them in containers, you know we. We have, we, we put stuff in, in 50 gallon containers and, or 200 gallon containers. And so that, that's not quite like rest, like restaurant. That's more like, uh, you know, something between a b industrial. So, but the analogy, I, I, I get the analogy. Well, I mean, maybe it was, uh, how do I say that? Maybe it wasn't the right analogy. Solshine was saying something, probably a better version of that question, uh, honestly, from a different perspective. What's the advantage of your line? I guess even a better question than I was asking earlier. Like, what's the advantage of using Western horticulture? In this case, the, the bottles, because we haven't even gotten to the meals and stuff for, for supplementing food. What, like, what, what do you get from using that, that line? The advantage is uh, quickly available organic nutrients. Um, whether you have already started in, in beds of, of premixed or you're in the ground outside and you're not getting enough nutrients uh, available to your plants because there's just not enough in there or they're not breaking down quick enough because of what they're bound up with in the soil. Uh, it, it, it creates a readily available organic liquid feed that you can make available directly to the root zone uh, with, with uh, drip feed or hand watering so it's it's more it's more quick quickly available that that that's a benefit compared to say you know more traditional um uh, uh mixing the uh, soil amendments in the soil and then letting it cook for a little bit in the soil until it's ready why is it uh, fermented by the way like we talk about ferments with everybody now uh, chris trump was on the other day about uh uh, natural farming ferments. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Ganjagura uses nectar ferments. Everybody's fermenting something. Why? Why are they actually fermenting those things? For anyone listening, in? it breaks it down into more usable parts. So it starts out as a, a protein, and the protein gets broken up by uh, the fermentation bacteria, the lactobacillus. It, it breaks it up in, into amino acids and then breaks those amino acids into to, to smaller peptide pieces. Um, and, and so it gets them closer to being able to be um, uh, converted by the soil organisms. They still have to be broken down further by the organisms in the soil. But it, so it's like a pre it's like a pre digestion, basically, um, that puts it one step closer to being digested by the soil organisms, which will then turn those, those amino acids and peptides into nitrogen uh, or amino, uh, you know, ammonium nitrate, nit nitrate and, and uh, phosphorus and potassium, things that are usable to the plant. You mentioned, uh, I remember reading about a lot of amino acids and proteins and stuff, especially when I was kind of first growing and, and for, well, I guess you still read a lot about amino acids and proteins. Uh, but how do I say this? You specify that your fertilizers are made of those as opposed to, let's say, nitrates and stuff. Why is that better? Well, that's just the natural uh, state that uh, nitrogen will be in 
when it, uh, in nature. Na nature holds nitrogen generally in protein form, unless it's in the sky. In the, or, 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 you know, there's little bits of it in the soil and in organisms, but the majority of it is going to be in a, nit in, a in a protein state or amino acid. Um, but uh, so like you start out with like any, any plant material or, or fish or meat, it's going to be a protein. And then as it breaks down, it becomes nitrogen or, or the nit among other things, there's going to be other things in there but the main thing that that the plant needs is nitrogen so the the those amino acids they break down and become constituents part of which a good portion of which is nitrogen which at one point had been atmospheric so once it breaks down and becomes part of the plant or other microorganisms will eat it up What was I going to say? Uh, I remember you talking about. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Good. I, I was just saying. If am I am I making sense? Like, no. Sure I what... think so. I, I guess I I don't read a lot about the nitrogen cycle. So here I'm like like oh fuck useful questions. I don't have any use. Probably someone in the audience is like, well, ask him about this. Well, if you guys have a useful question, please ask him, uh, or, or ask him on ask in the chat. Should I can't even ask the the, the people the, the questions. Uh, I was reading on your blog, you had a couple of posts about uh, nitrogen versus potassium, which, by the way, you should totally have more blog posts because I really enjoyed even just that article. Let's yeah, because we have two, right? You have two, so I read them both. So it would be nice if you had both. Um, I was going to ask you about them both uh, because uh, they were both interesting. Nitrogen to potassium ratio effects on flowering plants. See, the thing is, like, the reason why I was intrigued, other than the fact that it was your, your blog on your post, was... Um, you know, when you do run, let's say like a no-till, low-till bed or something, you're not really messing necessarily with the nitrogen to potassium ratio. I suppose you could, you can add some more different uh, uh, amendments over time. You can do some different things, but realistically, you can let it go. But I think one of the things that you can do is that you can actually mess with specific ratios. So here you were talking about uh, branching size patterns, quantity and size of blooms. I don't know, like, go ahead, like uh, tell us if you'd like about it for a second, like, what kind of artistry can you do basically with messing with those different kinds of constituents? Well, yeah, I mean, uh, having twice as much potassium to nitrogen is, is considered to be beneficial for flowering plants, not just cannabis, but all kinds of flowering plants. It helps initiate flowering and, and promote flowering in general um, and sexing of, uh, of uh, flowering plants. So it's been pretty well established for a long time from a lot of, a lot of different um, science groups that have worked on different flowering plants, including weed. So, you know, uh, the coot, you know, Clackamas coot method or no-till method that a lot of people have been promoting is like the really simple method that says, uh, you just mix it. Don't worry about pH. Don't worry about the EC or the parts per million or how much potassium or nitrogen, it just follow this mix and it works. And for the most part, people have done that and it kind of works, but to really fine tune it and make it work better is possible. So like I said, I have friends who have used that mix for years, for number of years now, and eventually it doesn't, doesn't produce as good as they want it to and so they start messing with it. And one of the ways to do it is by testing the soil. And you can see uh, like the, the re really pe people are doing really well with it consistently 
crop after crop or people that I know are people who test the soil and find out what's in there and make sure that the ratios are favorable. Um, and that's usually having more potassium than nitrogen. Uh, um, and so, yeah, the, 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 the concept that's being floated a lot for home growers that you don't need to do soil analysis or focus on your ratios of nutrients is true if you want to have a small scale grow and don't have to worry about continuous large scale production. But if you want to do more consistent production, you need to do analysis of the, of your soil. Even if you're doing just like Coots simple mix, you got to analyze the soil using soil analysis and see what's in there at towards the end of every crop. And, and that, that works much better than the method that says don't, worry about those ratios because really i don't know anyone who really hasn't worried about those and done well for any length of time using the same soil or even continuing to amend it does that make sense right uh, it does make sense if i were unmuted coots mix is a funny thing we should actually ask him about this one of these days because he has been fairly uh, clear I'd say he's been quite clear. He's retired. He's not really interested in being commercial. He's doing a little consultation here and there, but for the most part, he just kind of, kind of likes to grow his weed and talk about it. He'd like to sit, I think, more, uh, uh, he'd like to sit pretty as opposed to basically sit there in the trenches, maybe. I don't know. And so there is an element of that, like, okay, that same piece of soil five years from now, what now? Like, is it now depleted? Do you need to add more stuff? I don't know. We need to get to him, uh, get, how do I say this? We need to talk to him a little bit more about the longevity of those, those kind of situations, like in a farm, you know? Yeah. You got to keep top dressing that, that soil. It doesn't work forever. Right. Um, well, I mean, how do I put this? That is an intrinsic. So many people that have used it consistently for years. And after a year you need to start uh, or sooner, you got to start top dressing it and adding, ideally adding some micronutrients to it to keep the yield up. Absolutely. If you're taking out, you got to, if you're taking out, you got to be putting in. I mean, that's yep. like, it makes sense. yeah, I, I agree. Um, uh, sorry. I, I want to back up a little bit. You said you broke down your uh, ferments with lactobacillus. Is that what you did? Is that yeah. how you break them down? Okay, yeah. cool. Very cool. Yeah. That's what the firm at what ferments it. Okay, cool. And just every type, every so every everything you break down, you just break down with the bacillus. Yes, correct. Very good. Very good. Uh, do you uh, have you? How do you collect your bacillus? Like, but where do you? How do you? How do you start a collection? Do you do a rice wash and then, uh, or do you, do you uh, use a keeper? We use the bacillus, which is naturally occurring in the air. Really? Okay. Yeah. Really. I mean, just nice. let it start fermenting, or how do you how do you do it? Like, what do you do? Well, there's well, there's not. I mean, it's actually naturally occurring on the on the um the grains we use. Right on. Okay. So it's it's in the air on the grains. We don't add it to them. I mean, that's a more sustainable process, isn't it? Like, um, it's cheaper. Maybe this is is probably also cheaper, but it's also those microbes probably don't die as fast, do they? Yeah. Well, those, they thermo, so they they can handle a lot of temperature. They just, they, they like heat up a lot. Mm. Um, it's almost your, like compost. I was going to say, I don't know. How does this apply? 
it applies somehow it applies we're going to find a way like what's your stance on for example microbes you were talking about organisms in the soil like uh it seems like that's one of the missing steps that was okay i'm whipsawing around this because i'm trying to find the question that i'm trying to ask you uh one of the reasons everybody has their reason for for doing something they like to do one of the reasons why i transitioned away from a different bottle company it had nothing to do with you but a different bottle company other than you know cost and the plastic and stuff was that I couldn't figure out where the microbes were coming from that were supposed to be dissolving the final process of that ferment. So I was like, oh, I'm just going to skip a couple steps. But I think maybe since you are fermenting with lacto and stuff, you're maybe jump-starting that. I don't know. Like, what's your what's your position on microbes? Like, what do you? How are you building that? Fuck! I'm asking every, every single possible stupid question today. Uh, where do microbes fit into your system? Basically, let's just put it that way. Okay, so what I tell people is it's good to grow in soil or, mm. or maybe a soilless mix. But uh, if you're trying to grow with the organic liquid fertilizers or with, the, with meals and make, make your own soil mix um, to get microbes, um, there's microbes in, or in every meal. There, there's microbes in the fertilizers. There's microbes in the air. And all the peat, if you have a peat-based mix, there's going to be microbes in that. So... Adding compost tea um, is is maybe good, but is unnecessary. Um, and so, uh, you know, uh, I gave up on that a long time ago because it's just more one more thing to do that didn't seem to make a big difference. So I'm not against adding microbes from compost tea or a company that sells microbes in a packet. But I, I we, made out of the same type of shit like whitewater rafts are like I want to buy something. And use what it if you got to go Yeah, I, I wouldn't promote uh, adding a bacteria that you spend money on because there's so much bacteria everywhere, but it, that that are beneficial. They're going to be in the peat already. They're going to be in your cocoa already. They're going to be like everywhere, and they're going to quickly populate if you have any organic material in there. But I don't. Th and using compost, right? If you if you add a compost into your soil mix, like five percent compost to your soil mix is a good good thing to do for some um but even without that you don't need to add compost you don't need to add bacteria we've taken my uh we've taken stuff grown in soilless mix grown with chemicals and stuff grown in a organic soil mix um and then looked at them under the microscope and they both had a ton of bacteria in them that were bene beneficial looking bacteria so and we didn't test them to see if they were actual beneficial bacteria, but they looked like it to our guy who thinks they know how to identify beneficial bacteria. And the content or the quantities look pretty similar in the chemical, non-organic, synthetically fed stuff. So I was kind of shocked. So I think there's a ton of bacteria everywhere. So I wouldn't pay money for bacteria. especially inferior bacteria. By the way, I had like the dude grows playing from like a, I don't even like a, a hidden tab or something, whatever. Dude grows is a great Oh, we show. heard. <laughs> I, 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 like, where is that playing from? And I'm like, I can't find it anywhere. Gonna get us copyrighted. H Christ, I don't even know. Yeah, it was like a hidden tab. I don't even know. Whatever. Um, it's, it's one of those days. It's, we're just gonna freaking roll with it. Uh, by the way, welcome, Poto. What's going on, my friend? Hey, what's up, man? How's it going? Good, dude. Welcome. 
it's finished up a presentation for the aquaponics association there's been some <clears throat> for the first time and many i've been part of the aquaponics association for many years now i think today this is my wow god i gotta figure this out now eight more than six or seven years maybe eight years i gotta figure it out and think about when i actually officially joined versus participated but um they had the, the last year and a half we've had some heavy metal failures uh, in aquaponic systems and um, we kind of did a whole presentation to help teach people how to not ever have that problem and uh, how to do things right both organically and non-organically so that was a, a lot of fun to teach a bunch of uh, vegetable producers how to kind of um, use a lot of the hardcore data that we're, we're blessed enough to have from the cannabis industry and uh, all the finances that we have to, to help do that type of testing and, and how we can apply it to food production. Where, where are they testing the heavy metals on vegetables? Um, so I've actually been, um, uh, we, we started to figure out some certain practices that were causing issues with cannabis and then went and looked at some of the vegetable people doing the same thing and went, oh, you got to stop doing that. Oh. So it's stuff that isn't monitored in, in vegetable production. This is some of the, you know, if you look at the, the parts per million that are allowed in cannabis versus uh, vegetables, I think most people would probably fall out of their chair. What, what were the practices that you identified that were leading to contamination? The two main vectors that we've uh, narrowed everything down to through repeated testing and then repeated testing of the inputs is um, uh, poorly sourced media that was leaching heavy metals and then also kelp extract that was leaching heavy metals. And then the third one was uh, glacial rock dust um, because it's a mining byproduct uh, in most cases as a supply. Um, it's often very, you know, uh, not at all regulated for heavy metals and people don't really monitor that ever in vegetables, but we do heavily in cannabis. Um, so mm -hmm. if you actually look at the arsenic levels, the lead levels and, and some of the, and the cadmium levels of some of those rock dusts, um, they can be quite outrageous. Um, uh, but um, as far as the, the presentation was concerned, it was mainly around arsenic failure around kelp extract and doing using ex, like extremely overdosing at, uh, kelp extract. Kelp extract when used as directed at proper dosing levels, even in ferments is not a problem in any way. It's only when people go completely crazy with it, like they do in aquaponics on a regular basis for some stupid reason um, uh, that they have problems. Mm. Yeah, I found all the kelp meal that I could find anywhere in the world all has really high levels of uh, uh, arsenic. And so I figured there's just no way around that in natural kelp, maybe an extract they can extract out the, the components of it and, and filter off some of those those metals. But the raw the raw stuff has got like close to 30 parts per million in it. And so I just wow. tell people that if they're if they're in a state where they test test for heavy metals, they shouldn't use a kelp meal. Yeah, it's super great as a minor addition for things like super labs. We're using mainly the hormones from the spirulina with a little bit of kelp hormone just to help boost uptake. But mm. that, I pretty much moved away from it entirely. Mm -hmm. mm. Interesting. The other thing that I've heard recently from a lab out in the Midwest is uh, people using trim machines that that have a residue that can leave a heavy metal residue on the plants. I don't know if that's true, but I, I heard that from somebody. They said they think that's a source of metallic residue that has been un unknown until recently. Let's just break that down. So, so if I take a piece of plant material, okay, and I run it through a trimmer, even a mechanical trimmer, 
how many physical atoms of metal are going to slough off even in an abrasive setting? I, I that to me sounds like someone making excuses. Um, I, I can see mineral oil used for lubrication of the blades, mm -hmm. absolutely being the issue. I think that's what it was. I think it was. I think it was lubrication had a or or it had a maybe a reaction with the metal. I don't know. I again, you you have to get to point two parts per million. Point two parts per million means you're trying, right? Like. Um, uh, you you got to actually put some effort into either oxidizing that metal or dissolving that metal into a liquid solution or something like that. So um, I would probably look at either nutrient input or if there was a lubrication oil applied to the blade to keep it moving, that mm -hmm. would be my, my suspicion far before the metal in the machine. Um, right. Yeah, the, you look at it this way, even like lead pipes don't have that high of a, a lead leach rate, right? In, in, in an acidic water solution. So that the math doesn't check out on that. Hmm. Okay. Are bottle nutrients cleaner than uh, potentially, let's say the coop mix or, or no-till soil or anything else? I don't know. Well, uh, if, if the mix calls for using kelp meal, then yes. Our, our bottle nutrients have zero detectable heavy metals. And almost all of the meals have detectable heavy metals. So in that sense, it's cleaner. If you're going to be in an environment where they're doing heavy metal testing, I wouldn't use kelp meal. And I would make sure if any of the, like, if any of the meals had any heavy metal, I would do some test runs before doing a large amount in a regulated environment. But the, yeah, so the liquid meals, I mean, the, the liquid organic nutrients are cleaner as far as heavy metals go i mean how do i put this we have you on the the, the horn basically so it's like uh, i don't know how do I, i'm not trying to play devil's advocate or something but we are at least on my show so often like west engine and i a lot of these guys a lot of us actually most of us frankly that come on the show either grow like potent of course has his uh uh, uh dual root zone aquaponics but the rest of us a lot of us kind of follow coots mix so a lot of people in the chat they don't necessarily. So we're just trying to kind of play different sides of this. Like that's good. Organic. No, it's good to have other perspectives, right? Like every every single other side can potentially show you a different way of looking at it. Even if you yep. don't use anything that they showed you, you'll have maybe a different perspective of looking at the way you're doing your own thing. Maybe the way they pour something, that'll just get you like literally the way someone's pouring a bottle might get you to reconsider how you're doing something. You never know when that will be. So, you know what I mean? You always have to listen to other people's perspectives, I think. I was going to say, like, what's your what's your perspective? Why do you do uh, organic liquid nutrients as opposed to, let's say, salt? Like, there's a lot of companies out there. I was just talking, in fact, I was talking to Coot about uh, Cutting Edge. I don't, I don't know if you know them, but I, like a friend of a friend of a friend knew them. So I mentioned the guy's name. Cutting Edge does liquid uh, salts. There's other people that do liquid bottled uh, uh, nutrients. Why do it your way? What's What's your style for it? Well, we, I mean, we do also sell those uh, products as far as um, the chemical-based products. Um, but we we most we focus more, and we've made more of a business from our, our organic products. So, so yeah, why would you do an organic product over a liquid chemical product? Um, yeah. I mean, because. Um, there's I mean, there's a few different reasons. One of them, I th the main reason would 
for me would be the flavor is going to be slightly better with the organic. The way it's going to burn is going to be a little bit better. Um, it, it may not be perceptible to everybody. We did like blind taste tests side by side and most everyone could tell the difference and it was subtle I mean, the, the, the chemically grown stuff was still pretty tasty, but there's a difference. And then there's, you know, if you have a, a ecological attitude about it, you know, if you the chemical fertilizers are not necessarily um, good for the environment or renewable. So that's another reason that someone might choose that. I mean, is that true? We have you on the line here. Is that yeah, true? I mean, that's, been, uh, that's certainly the it, cultural. It, it may be true. It, it may be true that they're they're not not as good. I mean, does it take more more energy to make a synthetic nutrient than a, a chemical nutrient? Um, I think it it may. In the end, does it does it take more to grow more? I don't know. I don't I don't know the math on that. It seems like it's probably not as good for the environment to do to make synthetic nutrients. Um, it yeah. brings to this whole squishy notion of, I don't know, of like uh, on some level you want to be a better person or something. You know, like if you ask somebody, if you ask like anyone doing organic, then what do you want? Well, I don't know, maybe it'd be better or something. Because like, how do I say this? You're what, trying to use less petrochemicals or trying to use less, uh, I don't know, generally bad things, uh, trying to transport things across the world less, on and on and on. But of course, when yeah. you into it, a lot of times you realize, oh shit, the guano that you're using is actually from the Philippines and on and on. Like, how do I put this? You want to be sustainable, but a lot of times when you look at the label, Kud has taught us to look at the label, a lot of times you realize you're not necessarily. So like- Right, like the neem is all from India, right? So you have to ship it across the ocean. It takes two months to go across the ocean. So it's like, is that more ecological or using uh, cocoa fiber? Is that more eco? It all comes from, from across the ocean. So it's not, I don't think it is more ecological. Um, but with some of, the, some of the chemical minerals, there may be ecological damage from using those that's greater than using than the other, other sources. But I don't know, there's ecological damage from organic nutrients also. From the if they're from from farmed, you know, like alfalfa or blood meal or neem. I mean, neem is probably one of the least ecologically damaging, except it still has to come across the ocean. So, I, I mean, think if we we're going to be like the like the real. Go ahead. Oh, I was just thinking. I would, we have like a couple second lags, so I keep interrupting you. I was just thinking of like. Um, I don't know, some kind of a, probably vermicompost or compost or something. That's probably a bad example still. But uh, I was just thinking about the impact of providing a big, uh, like a truckload of organic amendments, let's say vermicompost or anything else, to a big farm. You know, we were talking about scaling earlier, and I was just thinking to myself, okay, it's easy when you have, let's say, one person or, you know, a small grow. I can just go to, to, to Doug's, you know, the Northwest Red Worms and get some worm castings. But if I needed like a truckload, that first of all, that truck has to burn a lot, a lot more fuel, a lot more diesel. You have to get it from somewhere. I don't know. This is I'm, I'm rolling with this example right now, but it does have a fairly significant environmental impact, maybe, as opposed to I'm just playing devil's advocate. Maybe that bottled nutrient is, in some cases, more eco-friendly. I don't know. Are there any circumstances where that's the case? Um, I don't know if it's if if it makes that much difference. It might. 
I don't, I don't really know. Um, I, I mean, it all kind of depends on the area and, and, you know, where, how far it has to travel. Uh, if people are trying to get our stu- uh, nutrients from us in Costa Rica, which happens, you know, three times a year, there's people in Costa Rica. It's not ecological to, to get our nutrients down there, nor is it economical. So, uh, but uh, so if you're around, if you're, if you're on the West coast or, uh, you know, a lot of places in the United States, it's, it's going to be more economic or ecological. Um, but say like, if you're using, also, it, 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 ecology is hard because understanding all of the different impacts is say you want to use fish meal it's organic it's it's good for the environment but then it all comes from fishing and fishing is like in some years they're fishing specifically for fish fertilizer it's not even the leftover fish parts from from the fish industry they're actually fishing to get extra fish for fish fertilizer and is that ecological? Maybe I don't know. Maybe not. Um, so, I, um, but I think one of the things that seems like the most ecological is using cover crops. Mm-hmm. That makes the most sense to me because unless you're getting your seeds from your cover crops from really far away, if you get your cover crop seeds and do that, but that doesn't provide all the nutrients you need. That just provides some of the nutrients that you need. But that's a really good way to like that seems like the most logical ecological uh, help. And then like like five million Chinese families use uh, compostable toilets at at their farms, and all of their all of their waste goes into these cement uh, enclosures where all all of their toilet stuff water and all their farm waste, and it becomes fertilizer for their farm and becomes gas for them to run their stove something like that would be more ecological but that's not that's not what i'm selling but that's you know if you want to be more ecological um cover crops i guess i should have uh, how do i say this i should have uh, uh, had a list of kind of dev- devil's advocate questions for you a little bit more i guess that that probably isn't the intention either you don't want to come on here and like debunk myths about like bottled salts or something but uh no, i wouldn't mind talking about that stuff because i'm like i'm really interested in it myself if you have good some ideas or questions i'm like i like go for it camping at the bit right here he's like uh he's ready to go do you want to talk about how hard it is to source actually not shit organic nutrients? Because that's almost a task in and of itself. I'm sure you've gone through that. Not, at all. You mean not shit like being non-poop, literally, or just you mean? I don't know. I mean like like low quality. Yeah, because so many of the the bulk nutrients for for people trying to like actually bring good nutrients for people trying to grow good stuff is so hard to source. Um, I'm sure you've run into that same problem. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. It is because once you start looking at doing testing on stuff to see if there's any residue, <coughs> even though stuff's organic, it might have residue that didn't show up when they did the original test or something. We lost you guys. No, his camera probably. Oh no, you're there. there. Um, so yeah, it, it, it is. It is a hassle trying to source nutrients, uh, and you have to keep on top of it, and uh, and then. The supply chain's been breaking down too, and changing, and 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 stuff. So, um, 
it is frustrating. Sometimes we've gotten nutrients and, and we get big batches in and then we do a test on it. Got to send it back because it's got contamination or something. Even though it was organic, it wasn't as organic as you thought it was. So it's it, the other it thing be challenging, but it is possible, I believe. I, I do apologize for the delay. But the other thing that I've seen um, kind of screwy with some of the organic inputs is a lot of the um, more natural organic inputs fail for microbials. If you ran through a lot of the traditional organic quote unquote compost inputs, a lot of them would fail for microbials. What do you mean fail, fail for microbials? I'm not sure what you mean. Uh, a lot of traditional soil compost inputs will fail for microbial testing uh, if you put them to the same standard as cannabis. You mean they won't, sh you mean they'll, they'll show too much? bacteria or not enough i'm not i'm not or sure species that are prohibited uh, that's that's an issue that we've had it too looking at yeah it's testing oh. process flaws though because basically the the market basically doesn't doesn't say whether it's a good microbe or a bad microbe any microbe is a bad microbe so no, that's no, no, a flaw. i'm not talking about general plate testing for for cannabis compliance i'm talking about input testing for e coli aspergillus that type of species or genus specific testing. Uh, I've run into failures. We were looking at, I actually, both through Jamaica and, and a group I was working with in Africa, we were looking at potentially importing large quantities of organic inputs for resale into the US market, but we declined both contracts on, um, because they simply could not give us consistently clean product. Um, oh, because they're probably mixing human waste in there, some kind of waste in with that stuff. Yeah, I'm not sure on that particular point, but um, definitely having issues when it comes to international organic inputs. Yeah, I imagine so. It's a, <clears throat> it's a dirty world out there. Lots of bacteria. Yeah, I, I, <clears throat> I don't usually recommend to people to use compost um, or if so, in small amounts and uh, well before harvest, at least 90 days before harvest. Because that way it's less, less likely. The, just because of testing basically these days? Yeah, it's less likely that any of it will show up. And it's, it's required for certain kinds of compost for food products that you, you have to wait 90 days or you have to apply it to the soil 90 days before food, before harvest. And so I figure if it's if it's that way for food, it's similar for cannabis, as far as like the likelihood of there being less bacteria that gotten onto the plant. But I, mean, I figure if it's at soil level, it shouldn't be on the plant anyway, or up in the buds. But it depends on how harvesting is done and how you know is how things. An intriguing uh, thing. Like I, I wonder if and when. Uh, our society will ever change in the future. Like it seems that our, our fruit and vegetables should be a lot more microbially active, if anything, you know, like we spend so much money buying like kombuchas and freaking uh, uh, the little yogurts and whatever, the kaffirs and whatever, they have all these activated microbes. It seems like if the plants were grown in more stable biological environments and then maybe not washed off or something, maybe they just continue to have that, that clean, uh, biome on the freaking fruit. Maybe you could eat it and have the, the same effects. I don't know. I'm, I'm freaking babbling because, you know, you're probably not going to do that in a grocery store. But I don't know, right? Isn't it kind of a strange way to look at it? Like I remember, um, how do I put it? In Europe, they don't pasteurize the milk the same way, right? 
and uh, uh, they have a lot different cheeses and milks and stuff as a result. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to keep everything sterile. They can sterilize it once. It'll be covered in bacteria again pretty quick unless they keep it sealed. So fruits, buying fruits and vegetables, and they feel like they're always going to have stuff on them. Uh, we go through this whole thing with, again, it's kind of on a small scale, but like uh, we like no-till guys. We're like, oh, we're going to fill the, the, the we're going to fill the space with good guys as opposed to allowing the bad guys to show up. That's kind of where I'm getting to. It's like um, we basically wash off the vegetables and leave it a sterile playing field for anybody to come back, including the bad guys, as opposed to, let's say, inoculating it with the good guys first. But I don't know, whatever. <laughs> Before we, I don't know, we, we have spray to spray with bacillus. Sorry, you got to spray with uh, spray with uh, spray with lactobacillus. It turns into as it gases off, it turns into peroxide. West Coast Horticulture, uh, tell us about neem. Uh, Coot was telling us that like five years ago, you found like the, just the best possible neem cake. Uh, we've heard Coot talk about neem endlessly to the point that everyone was like, oh my god, stop talking about neem. We were joking, but poor Coot, I think he took it seriously. He hasn't talked about Neem for a few weeks. Uh, we didn't mean it that way. We want to talk about Neem again, but let's hear your perspective about Neem. Why is it so useful? Um, like what neem, is neem's a great fertilizer. Uh, so a lot of people think it's uh, a good uh, uh, bug suppressant, but as a, a Neem meal or Neem cake, it doesn't suppress bugs that much. Uh, it, supp it suppresses a little bit of nematode activity in the soil. Um, but it, it doesn't it, it doesn't seem to suppress anything that affects the tops of plants, but it's a good nutrient for plants. It's, it's in the class of uh, nutrients I would call protein meal. It's, it's high in protein, um, and so therefore it's high in nitrogen, and it has some potassium and phosphorus also, and some some mint, little bit of micro minerals. But mostly it's it's high in protein, which means it's high in nitrogen. And it's it's a it's a good clean product. It's not farmed. It's wild crafted, so it's it's not uh, from an environment that's been uh, cleaning up something that was there before it that was not organic. You know, absorbing it. So it's it's uh, toxin free. It's, it's, it's from wild parts of India. So basically, just a, a good nitrogen source. I mean, we looked at another, trying to make, get something like that that was local or, or grown in the U.S. because what you want is a nitrogen source. Um, so we started looking at soy meal. Now everyone's anti-soy for whatever reason, um, you know, genetic modification or you know. So we're looking at organic soy meal, which is not genetically modified, as an alternate source or any other high nitrogen seed product that can be used uh, that grows here um but so much of the organic soy meal in the united states is still contaminated that's one reason we we haven't been uh, really focusing on that or pushing it because it has even though it's micro amounts of contamination there's still like micro contamination in most of it of uh, herbicides that were used before they allowed uh, or before they became organic, uh, I guess they're below the thresholds that are allowed in organic. But so, the, uh, swears that neem and neem cake have a very um, 
a very good anti, uh, well, anti-pathogenic quality. They basically kick out the, they push out the bad guys a little bit like I was talking about, oh, we like to inoculate the, the whatever, the playing field with, with good guys. He basically was saying that neem cake is exceptional at keeping away all kinds of pests and pathogens. Is that basically true or is it more of just a nitrogen source? That's more like, it's more like a nitrogen source to me. We don't make any claims for it to be good for getting rid of anything. Um, and um, besides not making claims, I tell people it's not, it's not a pesticide. It doesn't work like a pesticide. It doesn't actually keep away any bugs that affect cannabis. So don't have it be part of your, I, uh, your IPM program or anything like that, because it's not. Um, it's, and people say that all the time, but it's just not true, uh, in my opinion, from what I've seen. You know, there may be information I'm not aware of, but I haven't, I'm not aware of that. It doesn't, it I mean, doesn't. There's quite a bit of research on azadiractin, just as a retort on that uh, one. There's not much azadiractin in the in, left in the in the neem cake. I mean, there oh, is some neem cake. I'm sorry, I miss. I wholly misunderstood. I thought you meant neem in general. I misunderstood. Oh, no, no neem in general. Oh. Neem in general and neem oil. It hasn't had the azadiractin extracted out of it. Uh, there, it, it, there is for sure. And the neem cake that we sell does have some azadiractin left in it, but it doesn't. It, you know, it it, it's it not doesn't to kill anything. Yet. It doesn't go into the plant and then act systemically in the plant to kill like say fungus mite or fungus gnats or mites or or anything that really is a normal pest for cannabis it suppress it's 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 there's some research that it suppresses uh pathogenic nematodes in the soil um but that's the only thing i'm aware of that that i could find research on it that or even just seeing from people i've known that have used it for years yeah. They still need to use other um, controls for controlling things that affect weed. Yeah, that was my misunderstanding. I, uh, I, uh, Fumi will tell you a bit of a connection issue. So I, I just, I guess, but tons of people tell me they think that the neem cake in the soil will get sucked up into the plant and then mm -hmm. act systemically as, as a uh, pesticide. And, uh, and I, I used to believe that also, but I don't believe that anymore. It's good to know. I mean, it's good to know also that you're not like wasting your money, think you're going to get something you're not going to get. Uh, Claude, a long time ago, asked a question. Uh, I think a good question. Maybe we can ask it two different ways. <laughs> Pardon me. Uh, how would you transition from bottled synthetic on cocoa to, and this is the first version of the question, to dry organic amendments with worm compost? Maybe we can save that for, for I don't know, Wes or, or Coot or somebody else. But I guess in your case, uh, how would you transition from, let's say, bottled synthetic on cocoa to bottled organics on what? What would you prefer, soil or cocoa? I guess it's your choice. What would they transition to even? Me? Hmm? Uh, well, uh, I mean, I, I, would, uh, I would transition. I would recommend growing in some kind of soil mix. Um, if they want to stick with the cocoa, that's possible. I would just... If I was transitioning and I was still in the same pots, I would do a 50-50 feed. I would feed half-strength synthetic and half-strength organic, or even full-strength organic, but still do half-strength synthetic for two to three feedings. Um, because the organic takes a few days to break down in the soil. And then, so you want to keep feeding with your, your synthetic in the meanwhile, and then 
phase out the synthetic over a period of a couple of weeks, decrease it as you're increasing your organic feed. Uh, that, that's how I would do that. If, if you're doing it in the same pot, um, if, if you want to just start fresh, you know, in the next crop, the next time that's different, you just you know, stop what you're doing and, and, uh, and start the feeding the, the organic way the next time. By the way, I should uh, rephrase. Sorry, we're getting questions. Who is iPhone? iPhone is West Coast Horticulture. So let me uh, reintroduce you. I think I just opened up freaking QuickTime accidentally. All right, we're going to wick It's one of those technical freaking uh, days. I'm going to go to your website here. Uh, West Coast Horticulture is uh, organic, uh, mostly organic, <laughs> but you do also have some synthetic bottled. Uh, what do we got here? Uh, West Coast Horticulture, high purity for, uh, fertilizers. Uh, by the way, we didn't even mention like some of the other fishbone meal, alfalfa meal. Like, do you like to use those? Uh, do you use those in conjunction with these bottles, or how do you use them? Well, uh, most people who use those meals use them in a, a premix kind of in the soil at some point, and then uh, to start to when they build their beds out usually, uh, and then they will uh, at some point. Uh, many of the, the larger commercial ones will start using the, the uh, liquid feed on top of the, the beds or pots that they've uh, filled with soil that's mixed with uh, some of those meals. Some people will, will take all well, of the meals. people who use those meals. You... Go ahead. Go, go ahead. There was some feedback. Oh. Um. Uh, so what was I saying? Oh yeah, I guess some people uh, will take all of the meals and, and mix uh, a little bit of each one together to get their mix. So, um, so they have a variety of different sources uh, to feed different bacteria. Uh, so they have a, a more d diverse bacteria theoretically. Um, and and, and to build the soil out of that and then use a mix of that for top feeding um, between crops or just building the soil one time and then liquid feeding it from there on out um, is another common way that I've seen people do it. Um, the liquid, they basically build the soil out of, out of a, you know, different mix, mix of meals. And then um, after it gets going for a while and they start to feel like they need to add something more to it they will start liquid feeding a nutrient to it rather than do uh, uh, top dressing speaking of the top dressing or uh, well actually no speaking of the coots mix master himself welcome Clackman Coot. what's going on how are you faring this heat I think you just accidentally muted yourself he melted. Or maybe I muted him. Dang it. Still muted. For some yeah, reason, you muted. Uh, technical issues of all time today. We're going to have a submarine oh, drive right through this show. Button melted. You can't even unclick it. Right? Dude, the, the freaking was so hot. You're still yesterday, muted, buddy. Yesterday, the day before, I can't remember. I went to Costco at like basically right before they closed, like 8 o'clock. Right. So hot. There I it got is. it. The mute button. Okay. Okay, so I want to be really, oh, I'm over here. It was 65 when it was 115 in uh, Portland. I mean, that's just insane. But 
Yeah, I don't know. I didn't even. Crazy. Wow. Yeah, we're staying at the Salishan Inn, so 250 acre uh, golf resort. So we had a free pass as they were, uh, I don't know, part payment or something. Anyway, it doesn't matter. So I just want to be clear. I never, ever participated in, planned, or executed any product with my name on it except one gnarly barley everything else is somebody says hey i'm going to take this and i'm going to make money with it and so they did some people made a lot of money actually several people made a lot of money the stuff that passes for the kuchnik soils it's bullshit i mean dude does anybody really think that someone's going to spend two and a half years to make worm castings to start out with with compost and go through nine months of uh, mesophilic uh, building, a uh, nutrient building. I mean, right. And you're going to sell that for $10 a bag. I mean, delusional. So in a sense, without getting into the, what do you call it? The mechanics, if you will, of vermiculture. These things are made plant bioavailable in that process. Does that match for a commercial operation? It sure as hell does not. This is for personal. I only did this for people who had medical cards when they were meant something about 10 years ago. Now they don't mean anything because you can grow four plants without just grow four plants now. Um, so it's, you know, it's not going to be a for commercial grower. No way. It would cost you too much. And, but for a personal use garden, we'll call that the uh, four, four plants in Oregon. It doesn't say anything about how big they can be. So if you want to grow an 800 gallon smart pots with your own soil, that's going to last you several years. What I don't even know what last means because we're talking about biology, not chemistry. See what I mean? But speaking of which, we were just saying earlier, uh, Coot, this is the right time to say it. Uh, this is one of the criticisms I've even heard about the Coot's mix. I think it's actually unfair, but let's just even say on a scaled up system, not okay. someone's backyard grow where they can grow it once a year, but let's say it's all fucking intense. That's uh, full on farming. Right. How is the coots mix uh, for that? Like, do you need to regularly update it? Do you need to, to feed it? I don't something? know. I don't know. Every, every uh, commercial grower that I've known for the past 40 years, it's always the chase for the scam. How can I get more by doing the least? I get it. I understand <laughs> it. And now with the ridiculous prices that you see at the dispensary level in those states where it's legal, um, you know, quality isn't even, it's not an issue. And we can kid ourselves and say, well, no, you haven't tried the Bahamian pineapple twist. Yeah. And I don't give a shit. I mean, I've had everything leading up to it, or at least seen it. I, you know, I mean, come on. Is anybody, never mind. Get some old issues of high times. How's that? You know, look it up online and see what, you know, what swag's supposed to look like since we're talking about pineapple terps have any of you guys noticed how 
pineapple terpy strains seem to have like a weirdly hyper specific uh, thrip problem with their flowers. Um, in fact, I've, I've had two separate grows in two separate states that had super pineapple high, allegedly pineapple flavored terpenes uh, profiles on their cannabis. And the thrips specifically went after the pestles only on the pineapple strains in two separate states. And I thought that was an awfully like bizarre uh, alignment of, uh, you know, pathogenic attack uh, to be, you know, hyper specific of a hyper specific portion of the plant. Um, just on that note, uh, have you guys had that experience at all? I haven't seen that, but that's pretty interesting. Usually when I've seen thrips, they're on everything. I have video evidence for that, as well as photos of them specifically attacking only the pestles and ignoring the leaves and the flowers. It is, is hyper bizarre, but it's like there's this concentration in that particular genetic expression that is hyper attractive for whatever reason to thrips on the pestles specifically. And I, I it, again, super, it, it's so pigeonholed that it's, it's, you know, it sticks out like a sore thumb because it's weird. Yeah, it must be some flavor they like. And that, my my question is, is that like, could you take that and turn it into like an attractant for sticky cards or oh. something else to use it as a weapon against them? Like, like clearly we're on to something that's in the right direction for that, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. that's interesting. Sorry to go off on a weird tangent there, Coot. I just, it was, you mentioned it and it just, it's like a nail in my no, brain. no, I was no, I was thinking of a uh, in fermenting, not not lacto, but using tropical plants. Two that are popular is using the papain from young green uh, papayas and the bromelain from pineapple. In fact, you can buy bromelain. I I don't know if it's synthetic or not. I can't answer that question, but I have seen bromelain available in lab supply houses. So that might be something get a small amount of bromelain and do some experiments there. It, that might lead you to a, um, a phyto, phyto, phytotechnologies.com. That's a, a lab supply. They have things like, uh, uh, you'll see. I mean, all kinds of different um, uh, mixtures for uh Agars for uh, you know wood agars, wheat agars, barley agars, depending what kind of mushrooms or fun or whatever what you're trying to grow. So I mean it's that kind of a place. They ha also have scissors that cost more than God intended, you know, three hundred bucks for a pair of surgical stainless steel. Paul, I don't know. You talking you'll about how much did you spend on your last keyboard? Yeah, more than I want to talk, but yeah. <laughs> Cool. Uh, Charles, we were joking because uh, Coot and uh, Smashed they love uh, mechanical keyboards and they uh, they end up costing a fortune. But what is it? Smash, tell us about the mechanical keyboard. Do they, uh, I mean, why would you want it? Like, does it does it type better? Do you, do you type better? I don't use them anymore. You don't even use it anymore? I just use my laptop you keyboard. Got, you basically got Coot on the hobby and then like, it's for gaming though. Like he likes it for typing because of the feedback with the keys. But most of the time it's for gaming and streaming clicky clicky noises. <laughs> the old pump and dump, eh? 
You know, awesome, man. So good. Uh, oh, uh, check it out. Check it out. Oh, oh I don't do that, that anymore. <laughs> That's what it is. You got them all interested. Uh, West Coast Horticulture, what was I going to ask you? I just completely freaking lost my show. No, I was going to ask you again about uh, these days, it's all the rage to talk about plant-based, uh, this, plant-based, that. There are a variety of reasons. Some people are plant-based in general. They don't eat anything. But second of all, there are some people who say, I think it was Coot the other day who was talking about uh, uh, not using like uh, roadkill. There are a few companies that use roadkill or even... Uh, I can't remember what was the other well whatever animal bones for example a lot of people use fermented animal bones you're saying that you use only plant products is there um i don't know is there an advantage like just how do i put this are there any advantages or disadvantages do you do it for moral reasons or just for financial reasons or something else okay well there's there's a few different reasons but one of the big reasons that for me when i i started the company was that um when there's a splash uh, I don't want to have the splash be of blood or poop going in my eyes or my face or up my nose. And so if it's a plant material, I feel better about that, those splashes. Um, so that's- You might that's be working too close if you're getting splashed though. I, I, could, I could wear goggles and stuff and keep the nose fa face shield on. Man. But- um, uh, so that's that's one aspect. No, that makes sense though. I know people. I think Painted Lady one day she was talking about she grabbed her bottle and she went to go shake it and it just blew up on like, oh that's that's the worst. Oh yeah, that happened to me. I I took a photograph of myself recently with stuff all over my face and shirt, and it doesn't happen that often to me. But you know, and I guess if it was a bunch of poop or blood, I would just wash it off just the same. But I'm more averse to that stuff. Even though I deal with big bags of powdered poop and blood, it's just still different when it's in a liquid state and there can be accidents. <laughs> um, and I don't, I'm not a big fan of, of you know, of those things, of bone, bones and blood and, and poop. Um, and uh, but um, but people are and they, they, they make good fertilizers. So we, we keep them around for people to use. If I'm going to grow myself, I'm going to grow with just neem and kelp. I'm not going to do it with any bones or fish, but I'm not against anyone else doing that either. I'm not I'm not like a, a vegan crusader at all. I just that's just my personal preference. How I want to you know, I love fish stuff. I don't like the, the bones anymore. That was one of the reasons why I gave up a lot of those other bottles. I was like, dude, I don't want cow bones on my on my plants anymore. But for some reason, I'm into the fish. Maybe it's because I'm into... Hey, I don't know, like the flavor and stuff. You're a biblical, you're a man of the word of God. Is that what it is? Yeah, because fish don't count. Fish and crustaceans don't count in the Bible. In, in uh, Abrahamic religions, they, uh, they don't count as actual meat, so... Um, what West Coast Horticulture said, one thing that's always missing in the discussion about <clears throat> neem in general is that the meal of, in the, in the most narrow sense, and of course in the broadest sense, is a bionutrient accumulator on par with kelp. Kelp, uh, being a plant, means that those elements that it contains have already been chelated by a plant, the kelp plant. So kelp as we use it, or at least most of us, kelp meal, 
is simply leaves of kelp taken out of the water, rinsed, dried in the sun. They call it solar drying, whatever. Um, and then it's milled to consistent sizes for different applications. Uh, most of it livestock feed. Uh, some of it's pressed into sheets and shipped to Japan for making nori. Uh, and some pieces are uh, big and twisted for like kombu. A lot of the Japanese kelp in, found in the supermarkets in Japan and other parts of Asia come from the North Atlantic from a company called Acadian Sea Plants in Nova Scotia. And that's the type that most of us in the Northwest get when we buy kelp meal uh, through Wilbur Ellis or one of the big national uh, suppliers. So it's a, we're back to purity. Um, you could go to a, a place like, um, uh, what's that one? The Asian broker out of India or China. They used to own Yahoo. Alibaba. Yeah, that, thank you. Thank you, brother. Yeah, Alibaba. So, uh, I mean, you want to see how bad things can get, go type in the term humic acid. They got stuff that's light brown. It looks like, I don't know, whatever, or kelp. There's green kelp, red kelp. That's, you want brown kelp. Um, so when somebody says, well, I had problems when I used kelp, what kind? Where'd it come from? There's 1,800 varieties just of brown kelp. Could you narrow it down to a continent or you know, or a subcontinent or maybe a hemisphere. It's pretty, I think it's pretty dishonest to, uh, you know, go on a crusade when you've done no investigation whatsoever about the product that you're blabbing about. Disingenuous, I guess, was a better word. I cut back on kelp a lot. I don't even, I think the only thing I use it in now is the BioLife has it in, I'm pretty sure, from down to earth. The only thing I don't I know. For, yeah. The only thing I use it for anymore is super labs. So I do use it in my super labs because that's part of my KNF regimen. But aside from super labs, I've, I've pretty much given it up in my other parts of my sector or my supplementation and then replaced it with something else that provides the nutrients that it was providing. But the other problem I've uh, noticed when dosing regularly with kelp is it tends to gradually push your boron outside of range. And then you end up with this boron to calcium misbalance that ends up screwing up your calcium uptake, which leads to a whole bunch of other bullshit problems that, uh, you know, more CalMag, um, you know, and all that shit. How long does lag, oh, lagnum, lagnum, I can't even speak tonight. <laughs> lag me in tonight. I can't even say it right now. Lang um, yeah, yeah, thank you. Oh, it is. Okay. 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 The commercial product, Langby, okay, in the late 19th century, if you discovered something, they named it after you. So a gentleman, a geologist in Germany named Langbien discovered this deposit of what is tech, uh, not technically it is, it's sulfate of potash magnesia. It's also known as K-Mag. There's a commercial product uh, sold to farmers called K-Mag. They, they then spun it off into a retail product line called Sulpo-Mag and it's hyphenated. Okay, they're allowed to use this material as long as Sulpo-Mag is really spread across that, the bag or the box, right? 
But at the end of the day, if you went to a, a, a geologist or a chemist and said, what is this stuff? He'd, they would say to you that's sulfate of potash magnesia. So it's sulfur. So, I gotta hate this term. Soluble uh, potash and magnesium on levels that blow your mind. Okay. Um, you want to really, you want to really screw up your crop, get hooked on that stuff. I mean, high dosing with magnesium is probably one of the biggest uh, manifestations of you need a new job. You know, uh, you should go maybe grow uh, microgreens or something, you know, make it easy on yourself. It would because it tightens the soil up, it restricts water and airflow in a process that's supposed to be aerobic, not anaerobic. Be, just be do your research on K Mag because that, that's got more that goes out to the agricultural sector. So there's a whole lot of information. I was just wondering how long it takes to break down. Like, I kind of use not very it very long. Because yeah. that's what I'm saying. You can buy it. You can buy it in different mill sizes. So if you're going to use it in a more liquid application, which is typical, and you're going to mix up 500 or 1,000 gallons at a time for a large uh, area, then you buy the stuff that's milled finer. If you want it as a soil amendment, you can get it about. You can get it in all kinds of sizes. K Mag yeah, is. Yeah. A part of, if you're familiar with mosaic, the mosaic fertilizer people, the stuff with the uh, the Florida, oh yeah, they're huge, uh, one of the biggest in the world. So no idea. That's just their brand name. It doesn't mean anything. Langbionite is, but here's what they'll play the game on a box that fertilizer mix. They'll have all the names on there. You'll find Langbionite. You'll find KMag. You'll find Sulf uh, Sulpomag. And you'll find sulfate of potash magnesia. So it looks like, God, these guys really know what they're doing. Well, they're good at typing out names of ingredients. I, I'll give you that. But in terms of did it add anything? No. It's, you know, it's just, it's high, it's high dosing with magnesium. You're starting to see everything I read, like powdered, um, nutrient-wise, it's all potash. Oh, yeah. Well, it's cheap. <laughs> it's cheap. I sent one something to uh, uh, Fume several months ago, a listing of all the organic pesticides and fungicides allowed for not just cannabis, but uh, agriculture and horticulture by the Oregon Department of Agriculture. And what was interesting is that in this format that they allowed you to download, right, you could select uh, by ingredients. So show me everything that has yada, yada, yada. And so it would, I guess, you know, a real spreadsheet kind of thing. My God, man, citric acid is really popular. I didn't realize it was that big of a deal. Humic acids and stuff now, everyone's trying to use them. Uh, I just wanted to quickly touch on this. Um, at what Kud is saying is absolutely correct. I actually just did a presentation this evening on the heavy metal safety of different inputs in aquaponics specifically on this exact topic 
And this website is one of the two resources I listed for the Aquaponics Association. So I, I just wanted to like further back up and support what Coot was saying. Um, the, the link that he's talking about is literally one of the two uh, in my presentation that I did this evening, just to get people like, this is the slide that I had for, for how to vet your inputs. <laughs> and the bottom left is the link that he's talking about right now, just to, to talk about that. So the other uh, good resource to supplement what Coot just said is the Cannabis Horticultural Association. Uh, they also have an equally as in-depth and separately vetted resource database to make sure that inputs as well as pesticides are being double-checked to make sure people aren't lying to you about the actual content of the uh, inputs that you're being sold. Welcome, Bill. Uh, Bill, uh, dude, we're, this is a this is a show for the ages. I can't even say the names. Uh, welcome, Bill. What's going on? Again, I said Bill. All right, we're just gonna have to change your name from now on. Yeah, be I'm doing okay. Uh, welcome, Bill. I'm doing what's fine. Uh, you probably know your own name. Uh, what's what's new, man? Nothing much. Still looking for a job. That's about yes. it. Yeah. Uh, do you have questions for uh, our guest uh, Charles from West Coast Horticulture? A uh, little bit of a, a, a different kind of, a, you know, a different uh, interview subject, right? We always get like breeders and stuff or oftentimes breeders. This is a liquid bottle nutrient uh, company. Any questions, any ideas, any thoughts? Myself? Yeah, I mean, how do I put yeah, that? No, I guess I did just no, put I, a, I, I, I think like... Out, uh, I, what I've grown is outdoors. I never grew anything hydroponic or, or anything else, so... Does it appeal to you? Does the idea of, uh, like he has a liquid calcium, for example, we're always joking about, you know, CalMag, that kind of sounds like it wouldn't be a, a viable product, but this is actually a fermented calcium. Does that, does that appeal to you? Does it appeal to you add uh, liquid micronutrients in your outdoor grow? Um, Interesting. Yeah. Uh, I'd have to, I'd have to actually research it a little bit. I saw the, I had just come in when you guys put up that last, that last slide. I'll have to look into it. You know. It's a different way of looking at things, you know. Uh, I've been meaning to ask, actually, by the way, Charles, uh, do people have to pH your mixes? Probably the synthetic ones, I would imagine, but like the organic bottles, do they get pH or what? Well, our general recommendations are that you don't need to add any pH adjusting elements to the to the mix, um, but uh, that depends on uh, you know uh, other factors like what else, whether you're growing media and your water source. So around here, um, and, and a lot of the West, you don't need to add pH adjust, but in other places you may, depending on, um, like in uh, Michigan, I, I know someone out there is, who needs to pH adjust, uh, acidify their water a bit, but so, um, yeah. So for bo 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 both organic or, um, uh, chemical pH adjusting may be necessary depending on what's going on with your your water. <clears throat> like they have really high alkalinity in the water in Michigan and in, in the area that this one one uh, people are I'm working with out there. Um, so they have to add acid to their water to uh, no matter no matter whether it's organic or chemical. What kind of water do you have to use for your uh, stuff? Say it again. 
I missed that. I was just asking, uh, what water do you use when using your products? What water would you use? What would be the optimal water to use for your products? Tap, like tap water, uh, uh, distilled. I mean, it depends on where you're at, and whatever your water source is. I mean, most, in, where are you? Canada. Canada. Do you have, what, 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 you have municipal water there or well water? Or? No, shitty water. <laughs> shitty water. City water. Really? The city water, the city water may be very clean, depending on where it's coming God from. Goddamn Mongolian. You can get a report. Um, you, you can get a report from the city um, website. Probably they have. Have you checked the city website or, or get, you get a water report? Um, yeah, I think even Canada has to do that stuff. So yeah, I, I, if they if they have a report available, you can look at it and see um, uh, um, see if there's the quality of it. If not, then you may you may want to get your water tested to find out. However, you know, it depends on the size of your project. If, if it's a very small project, it may not you be know, worth testing. We all bitch about like filtering water and stuff, but every year I've done outdoors, it's, it's literally either been rainwater or tap water, just plain. And I've never had an issue really. Where are you located? Uh, East Coast. Have you checked your water? You have water report. Yeah, I actually have a friend that works in the water station. <laughs> you have pretty clean water so there. Kind of, yeah, um, it comes out the tap right at like seven five seven, mm -hmm. pretty consistently. Um, I also have a. I have a. My whole house has a filter on it. So like, even still like. I have a big carbon filter in the basement before the water main. So it gets filtered once before it comes out too. Nice. Yeah. And here in Oregon, our water is so clean. You don't need to really do much to it at all. It's very clean. It really is. I'm, I'm glad to hear you say it. Like so often people think that I'm crazy for not filtering it and whatever else. Like I just, I rarely have a problem. Sometimes I'll filter it when I have a chance, but if I don't, I just I don't bother, and everything's fine. Like the plants don't notice anything. Like exactly. the water gets out at zero ppm's, basically. You know, it's got a little bit of chloramine, and that's it. Yeah, and that chloramine does, it doesn't seem to affect the bacteria in the in the plant root zone. Really, it, it doesn't seem to reduce their populations. Can I comment on chloramine? Please. Yeah, I'd love for us to have a discussion on chloramine. Okay. okay. Chloramine is added to water so that when it leaves the, the plant, as they call it, and gets to your home on Main Street, USA, you know, the dog in the yard and all that shit. Okay. If it comes in contact with organic matter, it converts to chlorine so they can do its job of purifying. I'm, I'm not making the argument for adding chlorine. I'm just explaining the, the, the science. Their science. So it, it automatically converts to chlorine. So the simple solution is if your water department, or here we call them districts, you don't get your water at the county level, it's by dis, water districts. 
and all of the water where I live is snow melt from Mount Hood. Now where West Coast horticulture lives, he's probably on Portland water, which comes out of the Cascades at some lake, I forget, it was done back in the 30s or something. Bull, bull Run, we have Bull Run. Bull Run, thank you, thank you. Yeah, Bull Run. See, I'm not on Bull Run, I'm on uh, Clackamas River, the oldest water treaty west of the Mississippi. Dates back to like 1842 or something. But anyway, so that's why chloramine is added. But now you have all these gadgets to, you know, get rid of chloramine like it's some, you know, it requires, you know, a $500 filter system. You, what you do is you take, let's say you're doing even 50 gallons. Let's say you're doing 50 gallons of water. So you might take maybe, I don't know, a pound of anything, compost. It doesn't matter. It's organic matter. And you put it in the water and as it secretes out, it'll convert that into chlorine. So my understanding, I wish I could actually ask my friend if he would come on and talk about water like he actually does like the water station shit. It like, he told me when it comes out of the tap, the gas just kind of evaporates through the water as long as there's nothing Bacteria. Well, that's true. That's true. Again, I'm not defending. I'm not defending the use of and how it's applied. We just have really ancient laws in effect here in this little tiny part of Portland that doesn't get their water from Bull Run. I'm not. I'm not sure what uh, what purification uh, processes they go through. Ours is. The only thing they add is is chlorine because that's mandated by federal law, but nothing else is added. So chloramine is often used in areas uh, more commonly that have higher sodium levels in the water table. Uh, mm. Areas that, that do not have sodium, it, it seems to be, a, and I don't know the basis of that, but it seems to be a general observation. It seems like I always have this problem in Gulf Coast or West Coast states that are close to the coast. It's not completely that, but it seems to be the vast majority of the people that end up having this issue. Gotcha. Um, located near those issues. Now, it's not to say that water departments outside of those ranges do not use chloramine. I know in Colorado, they regularly use chloramine and have absolutely, you know, very low sodium levels. So that, that would be an exception to the rule. Uh, but in general, it tends to be used more heavily in areas that are higher in sodium. Hmm. As to the chemistry on that, I don't understand. But I will tell you that in aquaponics, we have to neutralize chloramine because oh, absolutely. I can off-gas off the chlorine by simply putting an air stone in a bucket or a drum or whatever it is that contains the, the, the liquid uh, water and then put an air stone in it and let it run overnight and it's fine. It will off-gas almost 100% of that chlorine. Certainly 100% uh, of the stuff that would affect plant growth. But if I have chloramine, Chloramine is a bond of chlor uh, chlorine and ammonia, okay? They bond together. Right. The best way, if we're talking about strictly what is the most plant beneficial way to break that uh, bond is potassium thiosulfate. Mm. Potassium thiosulfate separates both the ammonia and the chloride and allows the ammonia to become plant food by the nitrification process okay. uh, and then the, uh, the chloride to be off-gassed. So if you're looking strictly based on what is the best for plants, 
that is the best solution. It's often used in those pre-tanks before you see on um, uh, pivot water sprayers. Uh, they often will fill those with potassium thiosulfate or have a second auxiliary tank that feeds it potassium thiosulfate at a set metered rate in order to neutralize the chlorine should they have the event uh, with a solenoid on it. Uh, should they have the event where they need to switch to city water, at least they can neutralize the chlorine before they apply it to field application when I'm talking about acre, acreage. So um, that, that's well, where it's used in that type of application, but it's regularly used and, and well proven throughout the decades uh, in agriculture. Where could, uh, if we went to uh, Home Depot, somebody in the audience or myself, what, what, what might be a retail brand name that we could look for? And what or what department? That's a great question. In fact, let me pull that up here. Um, there's a okay. wonderful product called Aqua Vitro Premier. Uh, sorry, I got to type it in. Say home grower level, though. We're not talking scale, Steve. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Um, right. So if you're a home, normally Steve's up here. We're all down here. We're like, ah. so this you can get at like PetSmart or like your local aquarium store. Um, and this uh, one capful from the cap of this, which is like the smaller portion, it's something like this, if you're uh, screen sharing, uh, does 250 gallons. Like a dab, okay. like a tiny little bit, like a, an ounce of this stuff will treat, you know, uh, 500 to 1,000 gallons. It's, it's a really, really amazing, you know, compound in terms of treating large volumes. Um, it, you know, it does not take much, but this is the product specifically that is the easiest to find for, you know, the home grower scale. And it's made by um, uh, Aqua Vitro, which is owned by Seachem, which is one of the most trusted names in, in or, um, sorry, aquarium chemistry. Just check with your water department or whoever's supplying uh, your particular home or business and see if, if they do in fact add chloramine. Like, like Steve said, if it's just chloride, aeration you know how this discussion really got started was when about like 2011 2012 and just in uh eugene and salem mary there were 10 manufacturers of compost tea brewers it was like the big fad and uh so the thing came up this discussion about chloride first and then the chloramine so the big heavies weighed in on it uh, tim wilson and tad hussey and what have you so um, that's where the chloramine got demystified because you should you see some of the uh, saltwater tank uh, hobbyists, the aquarium crowd, they came in with some of their solutions and man, they talk about breaking the bank. You know, we're not trying to do uh, some Southeast Asian, uh, <laughs> right? A fish in our home, you know, it's more like guppies or goldfish or something. You know, try, so, to, try to treat a large scale commercial system with iron humate and tell me how much that's gonna cost. Yeah, exactly. Anyway. I'll be honest with you. It's funny that we're- Go ahead, Kurt. No, I just was gonna say, it's kind of funny that we're coming back to the same discussion about the same challenges on the uh, compost tea thing. So anyway. Stay away from the stay away from the hobbyist aquarium crowd. They're really anal about their fish. Well, I, what it comes down to is it's not even their fault, right? So, like, let's just look at this from the chemistry standpoint. Plant chemistry in terms of nutrient uptake is different for aquatic plants. Aquatic plants absorb things equally through the roots as well as the leaf tissue and the stem tissue. That is not the case through terrestrial uh, plants. So 
the the uptake mechanisms are different. It, it's just it's a different chemistry problem entirely. Oh, absolutely. I'm just saying that with those who are trying to sell to the cannabis grower these exotic things that just weren't necessary in the whole scheme of the yeah. discussion. Not scheme, like but the, the RO filters and shit. Yeah. I was thinking about buying an RO filter for a long time, and then I just, I was like, it doesn't seem like I, I've grown outside for so fucking long, and I've never filtered the water. It entirely depends on how shit your input was. A lot of us are blessed enough to have good, clean water. A lot of us are not. So it really depends on how much you can trust the consistency of, the, of that water. If you're in an area that has a good well, you don't need to worry about it. But if you're in an area that has fracking nearby, you do. Yeah. That's really what it comes down to. I used to use well water. That was a pain in the fucking ass. You had to go to, to the sportsman's school. Before, like, gorilla growing, we would use a well. I would use using well water. Um, we would fill up a bunch of because the sportsman's club had a free tap outside. You could fill up from the well, bring uh, milk crates with gallon jugs in it. I'd bring four, like three or four of them and fill them all up. If it's four gallon jugs, just filling it up, rotating, putting it in the car. That was some of the best water I've ever used though. Let me tell you. Shit, man. Sorry, I lose my shit here in the chat. Uh, West Coast Horticulture. Uh, by the way, you've been an absolute champ uh, for, for the interview. I was thinking we might, uh, uh, you're welcome to hang. We, we have like this show where we just kind of uh, openly, formatedly uh, chat for hours. But you don't have to hang the whole time. Uh, I was going to say. Uh, Thanks. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I, I just say it's interesting topics. Um, um, oh, cheers. Absolutely yeah. welcome to hang. Uh, I was going to ask you, what was your most. I want to just say thank you for taking the time to come out and talk to us. There's not a lot of organic people that are willing to come out and talk to the community about some of the complexities there is with the industry. And I just wanted to say thank you for that and how hard it is to do some of the stuff that you're doing in terms of formulation of nutrients the way that you are. Yeah. I'm happy yeah. it's more of an FPJ type of situation. You know what I mean? It's not really a, a bottle. FPJ I know it's unpopular on this venue, but this gentleman has menu. this gentleman has some of the finest neem meal I've ever used in 20 years, and I've used a lot of brands. And his material is consistently a appropriate level of oil. Some oils out of China, particularly. Or, or they lack oil. You want about, I think it's eight to ten percent. Correct me if I'm wrong on that one. You want oil and left in the meal. Oh, I don't know about oil. All I know about is the nitrogen level. That's what I look for. And okay, uh, yeah. The well, I look at the. I mean, with me, it's the way the, the nitrogen level, the way it smells, and the the um yeah uh the color of it. Yeah, and that's it, I I do it by visual and uh, smell. And yours has that coffee, uh, chocolate, not mm. or cacao, not chocolate, cacao, cacao oh and uh, coffee smell. And that's, some people yeah. hate that smell, though. Which For it's sure. that, that always goes along with the high nitrogen. When you have the other stuff that doesn't have that same smell or it looks more dark colored than that, it has lower nitrogen levels always. Right. So the, the, the one reason that stuff works better is because it's got more nitrogen in it. 
I know that it's hard to grasp uh, with uh, stoner science, but some things can suppress pathogenic microbes and enhance aerobic microbes. And neem does exactly that in my worm bins. So suppresses the pathogenic fungi and enhances the fungi coming from uh, fungi foods like kelp meal. Not, we're not supposed to use that now. I guess there's a new bottle of something uh, that'll take the place of a uh, kelp meal. I'm not sure what it is, but anyway, um, I'm like you, that's like the, about the only two amendments I use other than barley uh, or malted grains in general in my soil. Hello, barley now. I don't think you'll ever get me to stop using it now. Seriously. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, it'll cause uh, microbial collapse, uh, inverted nipples. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Sore ankles. Uh, uh, I don't know. There's a whole litany of it's things. It's linked with alcoholism, too. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's linked to alcoholism. Um, but, yeah, never mind. Um, it killed one of my ninja toads, though. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I paid like forty dollars for those ninja toads. Well, now we're faced with another dilemma. The person who announced and alerted the world of the dangers of adding malted grains to your soil about microbial collapse is now invoking God. All right, on a program he did with uh, Peter at uh, Future Cannabis Product or Project. And now here's my concern. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I do want to defend Peter. Peter does spend a lot of his own money to go out of his way to talk to a lot of unique um, breeders and, and unique events. I was on there, I was on he his was, pro. He, he, I, want to, I, I just, Peter himself is amazing and puts on yeah. a lot of effort and content and I will defend him to the end of the earth. He is fucking awesome. He came out all the way to the Dempure Hive event and spent his own money. He, he really does spend his own money to create some of the best cannabis content. So Peter himself, I would have fed. Now, some of the guests he has on, they're on their own. But Peter yeah. is... Yeah. I okay. back that statement. <laughs> all right. He invited me on three or four times. One of the programs... Those were had, great, by the way. <laughs> Thank that you. was a great program. Had the CEO, the man who was behind the Worm Power Project in upstate New York and grew it to be the largest worm operation in the Western Hemisphere. It was estimated he had over 200 million worms in production when they uh, it was set up for handle the manure from the dairy industry in upstate New York. So consider that every cow every day produces 100 pounds of manure and then it's washed and that's another story and then what's left is called dairy solids and that makes the best compost that you can normally get in bulk because you don't want steer manure because that came from a feedlot right where they're given hormones uh, growth hormones and all kinds of stuff but dairy cattle produce revenue so they're taken care of better we hope Anyway, that's the deal. And so I also, the person who introduced the whole thing about uh, microbial controlled uh, compost, part of the uh, Demeter, the Rudolf Steiner, direct line to Rudolf Steiner, the father of uh, uh, biodynamics, 
in Aust they're still alive in Austria. Uh, Steve Diver, look, uh, his uh, piece that he did for the agency in the uh, USDA that helps farmers move from conventional to transitional and then final certified organic. And that was the basis for compost tea. And they were they started doing their work in the 60s. So those are the people I got on his show and he did a great job. It also that did another show about compost teas and got Dr. Uh, Linda Chalker-Scott from University of Washington, Puyallup, who's had an ongoing battle with Ingham for 20 years or more. At the same act, she's a PhD, she's a PhD. Have it out, kids. And uh, has, she's written a book. I had her on the show with uh, Steve Diver that uh, works, uh, now runs a hemp agency, not the hemp agency, but runs the School of Hemp Education at University of Kentucky, which has a hemp history going back to 1915. They've been growing hemp there commercially. Um, but anyway, he gets, gets a lot of good ones. And so the fact that the big critic of uh, barley is now invoking God. And here's my concern. I was raised as a Baptist and I'm not, but that's how, you know, where I had to go to church and shit on Sundays until I was about 16. But what if he's like one of those that we didn't like the Baptists? They don't like the Methodists. They don't like the Presbyterians. They certainly like the Catholics. And then let's not even get into the Mormons. So what if, the God he's invoking is one of those guys that Baptists don't like. I mean, do we have to use a certain product because that's what the Mormon God says? Or, I mean, how's this work? I'm, I'm, I'm confused. I didn't know that God got, in, uh, in, in books, it got involved in what kind of amendments people used on their gardens. I find that fascinating. He was talking about you, Steve. Like the Old Testament, he would have an opinion. Yeah, he'd be like, only these people may use my alfalfa or some shit and he'd like smite the other people it will that's what you see with these nutrient companies they become little cliques and cults like you go to a mammoth booth if, and if you're not cool with mammoth pee you don't get the cool oh. hat yep. you know what i mean it's stuff like that you see it all over the place i just wonder how hard they had to squeeze the mammoth I just want one of the hats, for real. <laughs> Are you talking about mammoth microbes that's now $700 a gallon that two, three years ago it was $1,000 a gallon? I got a fun story about that, actually. Hold on two seconds. I got a bottle over here. Just for a second. <laughs> Holy shit. I don't mind. $1,000. No bullshit. I don't mind going to, like, an event and... So this is one of them... Ones yes. that you make all that many of event only hats. One of the ones that all the hat freaks are hot and bothered about. Yeah. All right. That I got a bunch of these because I'm I'm good friends with Colin. Anyways, so this is some MFP. We give away these for all the time uh, for the through the aquaponics group. Mammoth P not only is one of, if not the most effective microbe for increasing phosphorus and in aquaponics systems at an economic rate. But also, um, you can put up to 10% of this shit in an aquarium. Literally, you can have one gallon of a 10-gallon aquarium of this being one gallon of that, and the fish will live. There's very few products that are that um, uh, safe for the uh, aquatic environment, just in terms of like 
environmental safety. We did food safety testing with this. We could not actually achieve an LD50 with this product uh, when he gave us five gallons of it at the aquaponics source because they were just a couple of miles away from us when they when they kept on this long before they ever came up with um, the company. Uh, what's the name of the company now? Growth Serta or, or I, don't know. I don't remember the name. Anyways, whatever the company is that they have this under now, long, uh, yeah, Grossentia, Grossentia, I'm sorry. Sorry, Colin, uh, Grossentia. Colin's a great guy, by the way, does a fuck ton of research and, you know. Yeah, I, man, I don't, yeah, I don't doubt it. He knows what the hell he's talking about. But I will I just say want one of those hats. we tested uh, over 70 different products when I was in the aquaponics source. This was one of five products of the 70 we ever tested that we actually continued to carry. So a question. Because of the increase in uh, when we tested the tissue samples and the bioavailability samples in the water versus the phosphorus uh, uh, uptake in the tissue samples uh, across lettuce, tomatoes, and a couple of other uh, crops, it was one of the only products that did. Now, I also think that there's many other phosphorus chelating microbes on the market, but those definitely are. Um, uh, uh, something that uh, helps a lot. How do you feel? All right, about now from the bad news, the price. <laughs> it is. It's pricey for like just a. It's home like uh, eighty-two there. bucks for uh, a five hundred ml bottle here. Oh, yeah. So you can. So what you do is you can use that to seed when you're making your compost teas and your brews. You use that. You add that to your initial seed batch to brew up more. Right. So like. That's how I always use it in my stuff. Now I'm sure that's not they would uh, how they would tell you how to use it, but that's how I use it. Um, so we kind of use it as a seed culture uh, more than anything else. And I think utilizing that, especially for seeding aquaponic systems or any type of um, you know recirculating organic system, be it organic hydro, uh, aquaponics, or even hydroponics, if you're not going to you know microbially clean those lines and wipe everything out on a regular basis. It's definitely something to keep and maintain in your lines because it will actively increase your phosphorus. And we do have, you know, tracking for that out a year and a half in a single aquaponic system where we did one inoculation and tracked that out a year and a half later and, and could see comparably, you know, to a control group, it, it made a, a visible difference by having those microbes being introduced. So the same way that people, um, let's think of it this way. Okay, you seed an aquarium with cycling microbes. People talk about ammonia, converting ammonia to, nit to, nitrite, to nitrate so that it's less toxic to your fish in an aquarium or an aquaponic system. That same type of seeding your microbial system to convert that mineral processes to be more available to the plants, the same way that it becomes less toxic to the fish is what we're doing by adding uh, a small amount of mammoth pea to the system, right? So it's not even so much about trying to follow the dosing regimen as it is seeding that microbe species so that it's present and, and colonizing at, at the rate that it needs to, to fulfill its role in, in the microbial food web, right? So, so don't think about it in, that, in a way that you need to follow the dosing regimen. Think about it in that I'm trying to maintain it the same way I'm trying to get this thing to cycle uh, an aquarium and then maintain that. And, 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 and types of small dosages. So that's kind of how we think about doing aquaponics and then general mineralization with organic hydroponics is small amounts of, of very regimented microbial dosages along with mineral inputs, organic or non-organic or a combination thereof 
in order to make the highest bioavailability uh, along with the microbes that are going to help enhance the delivery of that or the bioavailability of that, uh, be them uh, aerobic or anaerobic, you know, depending on the nutrient and, you know, situation. And I think that's kind of the future too. I think really, you know, the future of products really is these hyper-specialized microbial groups. And I don't think they're going to be GMO'd. I think it's just a matter of uh, companies sending a bunch of, of biologists around the world to collect soil samples and then figuring out the right mix match of all the world's different mineralizing microbes that create the, you know, in a lab perfect food web. I don't, I, you know, each, you can go to places that are half a mile away and, and you know, detect 70% difference in, my, in soil species. Uh, I've seen it, right, in, in, in some of the data that's out there now because we did a big war. There was a huge attack on aquaponics in regards to uh, organic certification. And some of the justifications they used was some of the microbial stuff. And we proved that we were, on average, 168% more biodiverse in terms of number of total species in aquaponic systems versus organic soil systems. And then we're talking about no-till living soil systems, right? How is it that we were able to have 168% more, more species in total in terms of, of, of microbes that were found on the root systems of plants when grown on it when they did a study on it right so this is the type of stuff where you know we have mountains of data and not only do we have mountains of data but they stood up in court when, when we had to fight this to maintain organic certification in the court of law so it's not like it hasn't been vetted by you know don't if you don't want to listen to me you want to call me a schmuck that's fine but this stood up two separate times in court and it has been the reason why organic aquaponics has been allowed to be still organic aquaponics to this day, right? So I don't even care if you don't want to take my word for it. Go look at the paperwork from the last two lawsuits, right? That's fine. You don't have to listen to me. The, the, the paperwork's right there. And it's backed by people that are far bigger than me. Well said. I'm thinking about whether or not to follow that that mic drop. I was gonna follow it from a different perspective actually. So I'll just talk like a stupid stoner in a different way. Uh, people always focus on the cost of stuff. Uh, so I'm gonna assume that everything you said is correct. I don't know, when, when are you not right on this show, Steve? I was just thinking to myself, uh, people are always focusing oh. on the cost of Mammoth P. And I, I have uh, myself said like, oh my God, it's too expensive. It's not worth it, da, da, da. And you know, in my particular garden, it has not been worth it for me to pay, uh, pay the money. My circumstances are different. I don't need to start solubilizing anything. Like I think my garden has been doing it for a while. Like I'm on the, I stopped counting how many cycles the, the, the flowering uh, bed basically has been doing. It's been multiple, multiple flower runs and they get better and better and better with time. Uh, I do, you know, top dress and feed them, but it gets better with time. So I don't really need it. But you were talking about a little bit ago, well, hey, if I want to solubilize microbes, if I want to uh, get it going in an aquarium, like I, I haven't run an aquarium for a few years, but I remember how it took a couple of weeks to get an aquarium running, honestly, like you have to get like you couldn't just go and get some fish like anyone that's ever gotten excited and gotten an aquarium, whatever, and gotten fish in there. Oh, my God, the next morning, they're all dead. They're floating upside down. It's terrible. You actually have to get everything running and cycling before you could even put even like a plant in honestly like the best puts the plants in and then eventually a couple of fish and then maybe you can move up to like the awesome fish that uh, west engine has uh so something that could get that shit jump started right away 
boy, that sounds like it might actually be worth some money to me. You know what I mean? When I hear that from a different paradigm, I'm like, oh, I, I might want an aquarium. You're telling me for like $80 for a small bottle, I could like jumpstart an aquarium. Well, goodness, tell me more. So I thought I started to think to myself, well, what does a tool cost? Like what, what does an appropriate tool cost? Let's say you're a filmmaker and you needed to make a movie and you were looking at anamorphic lenses. Here's some Ari uh, master anamorphic lenses. These are normal prices. B&H is a very normal price, a very normal store. This lens right here, 35 millimeter T1.9, that's the aperture. That's basically how much light comes in. The 35 millimeter is the focal length, the moderately wide angle lens. This is $44,000 for that lens. You think to yourself, oh, okay, that's one of them, Fumino. You're fucking lying. The rest of them, no, that's the cheapest one, actually. They go up from there. Uh, this is just the Aries, but they have different ones for the uh, their 28 millimeter, a little bit wider angle, 54,000, 60,000. I could go back and I could find some other ones because I like to nerd out on this stuff that are like $100,000. Perhaps you'd like a cinema camera that you'd like to put that on. Uh, well, this Black Magic is $6,000. A lot of people say, well, fuck you. I have an iPhone. Fine. I have an iPhone also. Neither of us needs those things. We were just nerding out on those prices. Those prices are astronomical. Why would we ever fucking buy them? Except for if you're in the circumstance to buy them. Maybe you're actually a Hollywood producer. Maybe you're making a movie. Maybe you, maybe that's your salary. Maybe you're some fucking famous cinematographer. And for you, that's your bread and butter. So I'm thinking to myself, okay, you know, Mammoth P costs whatever it costs. Like, that's only a factor if it doesn't make you the money back. Like, if you're doing it just for fun and you want to have a zero budget, then anything is, is too expensive. But if you do it, you know, professionally, semi-professionally, even on an amateur basis, and you pay your money to yourself, like if it pays you back, then it's worth it. You know what I mean? Like that's one thing I won't criticize Mammoth P for. Like if, if people say that it actually works, then it's worth what they charge it for. You know what I mean? Like it's it, in my garden, it doesn't fit in, but I'm not going to criticize the cost because it's, it's like a tool, it's a professional tool. Like I said, we were extremely brutal on most of our products. We tested over 70 products and we kept, like I said, less than 10 hmm. uh, because none of them actually showed the results that they claimed, right? If you didn't, or if it like just wasn't making any difference, we were just like, all right, well, just off then. Like it's not working, right? So we had people try to sell us water spinners and all kinds of bullshit, like anything kind of bullshit you can think of. Um, I yeah, I like I, the microbe life guys too, and I like Newton Hayes at SLF. Yeah, they're, like they're those guys big, are all in the microbe big. game for the right reasons. My, microbe lift, uh, we've tested a lot of their products. In fact, if you're looking at starting a large scale aquaponic or hydroponic system, or even a, a pond on your uh, property, uh, they have wonderful pond kits that are, are available for doing very large scale. Um, uh, cycling of large, extremely large scale systems. This is for uh, West Coast horticulture and for Steve. I want to be really clear that uh, no till has never come off my keyboard as it relates to cannabis. How I got tagged with that, I will never understand. I have quoted works from the author of the one straw revolution and his other two books which is true no-till and co you know can involves cover crops so people have taken things and said okay this is the coots mix when it isn't they go over to walmart and get a bag of steve's uh steer manure okay that's my worm castings you know and so 
I have one uh, lucky thing is that uh, Fume has actually bought and used castings from the guy that I learned most of what I know about vermiculture from. And I've got to see it because I know what real castings can do to a plant in a matter of a couple, three days. And I also was involved in a, one, uh, Portland has one of their crown jewels of the park system is an 800 plant rose garden. Been around for over a hundred years. And I was involved in a project that they tested my solution to a problem. And the other one was using mammoth microbes. And what I'll say is that it didn't go well for the other side. I brought real biology to the discussion for a fraction of the cost, 80 cents a pound for barley versus at that time, it was $1,000 a gallon. And here was the deal. The seller got 300. That's a damn good commission for any fertilizer salesman. $300 on a $1,000 sale. So now that the price is down to $700, the packaging's nicer. They're using PBT plastic instead of ABS on the, on the plastic jug. So it gives you that finished look. But I got to see it to believe it. I'll leave it at that. Barley spread on the grounds and watered in. Before we forget, actually, thank you for reminding me indirectly. Uh, this comes up all the time. Hopefully, I can find that question again. From Sir Dirty. Testosterone. This is, I admit, not exactly related. But testosterone is found in mammoth pea. Uh, Steve, you're not the you're not the mammoth pea expert or whatever. But you know this this comes up sometimes. They say it's very bad for people with uh, weak immune systems. Would the fish be safe to consume if you were to uh, I guess like let them live in that testosterone? Yeah, there's no issue with that. And like so, mammoth pea has no effect on the fish or plants in terms of consumable smokability or anything like that. There's Lots of things that people claim. There's also a, a what's the alfalfa hormone everyone thinks that's in that shit? Oh, tricantinol or whatever. Tricantinol, tri okay. So, tricantinol is in an aquatic solution, is hype, like it gets oxidized like extremely fast, is, is extremely unstable. Like, like, if we're talking about purely chemistry wise, like, that shit doesn't stay stable in an aquatic solution for any length of time, right? So it doesn't, like, maybe in the bottle it's in it, but by the time you add it to a diluted solution that's hyper-oxygenated enough for the roots of your cannabis plant, like, it's all or mostly burned off by then if it hasn't been burned off already. So I think there's a lot of, like, misconceptions around that because if you actually look at the, like, I heard a really cool talk the other day about, the actual stability of a lot of the molecules that people are claiming are in their products and how just it's not the case like people are making a lot of crazy claims about what's in products and it's not because they talk you know it's super super cool uh uh professor the other day i can't remember his name because uh i'm quite tired at the moment and i've been smoking hash all afternoon but um uh, i'll think of it here in the next couple of minutes and i'll, and I'll put a link in chat once i think of it but I was listening to this super awesome podcast, uh, I don't know, maybe a half a month ago or a month ago, 
uh, about how the, a lot of the chemistry is wrong. And he went into like brutal detail on the stability of a lot of the molecules that people are like being outraged about. And, and how tricantinol is one of the biggest ones because again, in a, in a hyper oxygenated solution that's going to be in the, de, you know, anything for cannabis is gonna be above a five dissolved oxygen parts per million, right? Like across the board, in most cases eight or above, but we'll give some people some fudge room and say that their air pump isn't so great and say five. Um, and that just isn't the case. One thing about uh, uh, that, uh, it's actually a plant hormone, the uh, tricontinol. In the industry, it's known as TRIA. And you want to talk expensive? Get laboratory-grade TRIA sometime, and you'll think that Mammoth Micros was the cheapest thing you ever put on your shelf. Um, what's, that, what's that plant chemistry website? I can't think of it at the moment. I'm sure you'll think of it in three seconds if I mention it. There's a, a one website that has like all the plant hormones that you can buy in like hyper isolated. Yeah, phytotechnologies. That one. Yes, thank you. Phytotechnologies.com. Absolutely. They have, for example, you can get this one. You, you can buy laboratory grade salicylic acid for about $50 a kilo. And $50 a kilo will make 55 gallons of rooting compound that they can sell in a gross store for like $10 for a 32nd of an ounce. Okay. Like Clonex. But here, I mean, so you're a commercial grower and you're going to go buy something from a gross store when you can buy like this, you know, $50 or $250 kilo and make two, uh, 55 gallons of rooting compound. That's that place I mentioned, uh, look up scissors and scalpels. These are type used in surgery, not, you know, for the dropouts. Yeah, look at that. Well, those are the cheap ones, man. Get the good ones, they're over 250 bucks. Uh, you know, back to that, uh, uh, price and value. A few months ago, Apple came out with a new um, headphone that was uh, listed, pr list price is $550. And of course, the anti-Apple crowd went, you know, berserk and that's too expensive. Let me give you examples. Uh, Sennheiser has a pair of headphones that the list price are $55,000. The cable from the DAC, and that's another $1,000, right? From the DAC of the headphone costs more than Apple's headphones. So rel expensive is relative to what you're willing to throw at something that you want. What some people might spend on a goddamn mechanical keyboard, other people are rolling in the aisles laughing their ass. Like, you'd spend $500. $500 in that world's a nothing. Let's talk $2,500. Let's talk about the one I saw that a guy on uh, YouTube did out of uh, laser cut solid brass keys, $50 a key. And let's see on a 90 key keyboard. So 90, anyway, you guys can do the arithmetic. Okay. And we still haven't talked switches. We still haven't talked, you know, I mean, this thing was insane. People spend what they want to spend on whatever it is that floats their boat. There's where you want to shop right here, man. Biotechnologies. These guys are great.
Yeah, the noise canceling technology on those apples though are ridiculous. Like if you're riding your bike or if you're in your car, you don't hear shit. <laughs> they are dangerous. I knew you remember it as soon as I mentioned it. I could not for the life of me remember the name of that damn website. But yeah, if you actually so if you're if you're like me and Coot and you really want to go down rabbit holes and you really want to fuck with your home plants and yeah. really experiment with like hyper specific shit that's the website right so if you are like man i have a hunch that i'm onto like this bullshit plus this bullshit equals this bullshit or like a plus b equals this terpene or whatever that is the website to get the precursors to intentionally introduce hyper elevated levels to try to achieve those things right so um if you do if, if you really want to really, you know, hyper screw with your plants and you really want to learn a lot and you are doing lots of regular cannabinoid and terpene testing and you really want to just try and understand things on a whole other level, it really truly is one of the best resources and has been for many years. I've ordered, God, five, ten thousand dollars worth of compounds off of them or more um, just doing different experiments, right? Like you, you get an idea that like, man, I wonder if this happened. Well, wait, I can cheat if I just buy those hormones or buy those, you know, whatever compound and, and then force the plant to pretend that it's doing this by, you know, force stimulating it that way. So it really is kind of your way of forcing a lot of, you know, very peculiar experiments if you are trying to go down that route. Uh, I want to, I was over, I've been hiding out at the coast where it's 50 degrees cooler, as I mentioned earlier. And so we we're driving on this area that's uh, adjacent to the ocean, but not on right, not right on the water. And I came across something that you'd really be interested in shooting the water in the air, you know, um, you know, for purification. And they were actually growing oysters in this aquaponics uh, setup right in the forest of uh, Tillamook County. It was so cool. So uh, I thought it was a good, uh, good sign because they're using also oysters in the uh, bays to uh, remediation, neutralize some uh, bad practices of illegal dumping over many decades, right? And the uh, Oysters actually purified a while. They're also doing it on the East Coast in uh, Chesapeake Bay. There's a big project. On, it's been ongoing for about 15 years using oysters in container, uh, uh, stainless steel mesh containers in the water for several years until they get to be of a heart, uh, where they're of a size to harvest. So using that. Um, Oh, and also two names I saw were in the coast for dispensers. This is where we're at in the society. One of the dispensaries was named, you ready for this one? Mr. Nice Guy. Now that's who I want to buy my weed from is Mr. Nice Guy. Not that I believe that, but I, it's a good thought. And then the other one, and uh, humid like this because of the name, the terpene and terpenoid connection. They have both terpenes and terpenoids. But what about the ketones? Don't they get a break too? Anyway, so uh, you know, they don't carry esters either, Jim. They don't carry esters there either. Yeah, right, right, right. So get reduce everything down to the dumbest no level. No ancillary cannabinoids. Huh? No ancillary cannabinoids. Yeah, I hope it will. 
As long as it's anamorphic. <laughs> I don't know. Dude, but, anamorphic is cool, man. You got to. I know. The anamorphic. They have an anamorphic lens for my uh, Osmo Pocket. Right. The a little tiny thing. It's you want how much? You know for this. But again, price is relative to your desire to own that. I mean, forty years ago, I, I knew a guy that spent a thousand dollars on a set of darts. Do I thought you want he was. To have it's it's a simple answer. Do you want to have the cool blue flares or not? I right. mean, I, I guess you could add them in so-called post-production, but do you know how to do that or not? If you don't know how to do that, then you yeah, you got to spend the money. I just noticed the uh, the the gentleman has exited. Did I miss that? Did I think West Coast evening? Horticulture has exited for the evening. Thank you very much for uh, hanging with us this evening. It was a uh, total pleasure. Uh, by the way, if folks can find him, I can show the website here in a second. Uh, the website is the Instagram is West Coast at West Coast Horticulture, and the website is so I don't misquote it. It is westcoasthorticulture.com. Um, let's see here. Was that the other one? That were the those were the two sites. Thanks very much, uh, Charles, for hanging. Awesome. Back to you, Potent. What were you saying? Well, it was interesting to get a different perspective. Uh, how do I put this? Um, yeah, you never know when you're going to learn something from someone or a different way of looking at it or whatever, but anyway, fun look at it. I was introduced to him about five years ago um, for people that were, uh, it doesn't matter, um, involved in the honey business, and he was a friend of his. And they told me had that uh, Charles was bringing these loads of neem right out of Mumbai into Portland, and I had to, you know, just out of curiosity. So, uh, yeah, it's the finest neem that I've seen in twenty years. So, um, I know I'm 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 throwing caution to the wind. You know, I I could be exposing myself to cancers or you know, begun to write that's when the poison skin turned into and they just shit themselves to death. So uh it's a serious disease in India. Uh, many people suffer from shitagunderitis from using neem products from the time they're born. So it's uh, my cross. Oh, I don't want to say cross, you know, because uh, Scotty Granola like, now uh, invoking uh, dumb, dumb fuckitis. That's a serious problem. Yeah. Increasing problem these days. But he did his research, and instead of asking companies to send him samples, he went and bought them. Hmm. You know, so he got an idea of what they were doing, and then had them sent to a legitimate, not the labs that's usually used in the cannabis sector, but a legitimate agricultural lab down in the heart of California's uh, Central Valley, where one of the biggest uh, food production regions in the world, literally. Um, and so when he had all these, uh, 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 analyzed all these different materials and then learned how the neem and there is no neem industry. There's no neem farms. It's a wild tree. It's, uh, by culture, by religion and by custom, the seeds that are harvested by the poor, the poor go then are bought by an aggregator. The aggregator takes these um 
lots that they purchase and then they're segregated by quality. Some for biomed, some for livestock, some for human grade horticulture and what have you. So he went direct to the uh, aggregators and got a price and then got a price from the factories where you, the oil's pressed and uh, then the resulting, most of the world calls it cake for whatever reason in the United States, we use the word meal. So if you see mean cake or uh, soybean cake or flaxseed cake is just replace it with the word meal. The only one that doesn't apply to is alfalfa. Nobody could press oil out of goddamn alfalfa seeds unless they're really patient. Uh, the, the Avenger guy with the hammer. I can't think of his name right now. Thor? Yeah. Yeah, oh, there you go, right. So it's, you know, when you use really good products, you get good results. I don't know what to say. You know, you can go buy shit uh, alfalfa. You can go buy stuff that's, you know, organically grown. And for not okay, think about it. A, a bag of, of alfalfa, just you go into a feed store and you want to get a 50-pound bag. The usual price is going to, at least here on the West Coast, we grow a lot of alfalfa in Oregon, so that might be part of it. But $12 to $40 is a typical price for 50 pounds. So that's what, uh, $0.07, cents? no, $0.28 cents a pound. It's pretty cheap. Now, if you want alfalfa, if you want organic, the price jumps all the way up to $19 for 50 pounds. So we're still under $0.40 cents a pound. And... If you just want to talk chemicals, which I don't know why people do, but insist on it. But if you wanted to compare alfalfa as a bionutrient accumulator against neem, excuse me, against uh, kelp, here would be the two big distinctions. In kelp, you have a major uh, compound called augenic acid that the only plant in the entire universe produces is the is brown kelp not red algae and not green algae and in alfalfa you have uh, tria that's the only plant that produces tria so if it came down to cost i guess i could make the argument that alfalfa is probably a better uh per pound because you're getting it for i'm just talking buying one bag i'm not talking about buying a pallet so one bag would be 20 bucks for 50 pounds, whereas a, pound, a bag of kelp, if you pay the kiss me price, you're probably up around a buck and a half. So $75 for 50 pounds. So for 75 pounds, you could buy almost four bags of alfalfa. So there you go. I will say this, the amount of tria that's in alfalfa meal that's where Steve could come in since he's done more research on it. But I know that it's extremely low. This isn't like the amount of algenic acid that's in, say, brown kelp. Not even close. That might become with this drought situation that is going to be persisting. This is not a one-year deal this this issue on in the west some it's the driest in 1200 years and um i guess what i'm wondering is in southern oregon and northern cow which are major 
uh, cannabis production districts, right? How is that going to affect price if I don't see good things on the horizon for this year and certainly next year? Just today, there was a, right on the border of Oregon and California was a fire and uh, the choppers came in, droppers, things. And some asshole took a shot at uh, the first responders and uh, they returned fire and killed them. So that was just today. Um, you know, people's livelihoods get threatened. Uh, you know, you make bad decisions. I, I'm sorry. I, 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 I've been around the West, both in California and in Colorado. How in the flying fuck are you going to mistake a, a firefighting helicopter for a police helicopter? Like, they look ab and sound both. I know. Nothing yeah, alike. I know she looks a lot different. I know she sounds like I'm a sorry, I, am, I am all for them opening fire on any asshole that shoots at any firefighting helicopter. Yeah. I didn't lose any sleep over it, just, you know. That's absolutely insane. Anyone that's lived out there knows they, they sound different. One's fast, one isn't. They have completely different engines. Yeah, the ones that are out the there. Firefighter fighting. ones literally sound like a ho, 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 like slow, slow. And then when you hear those police ones, they're going fast because they're catching up the fucking Hellcats. Or the more the hum rather than the yeah, the heavy bigger engines that they have yeah. on the because they have to have the weight to hold the water because water weighs eight pounds per gallon. So I mean any that, that was someone that knew exactly what they were doing. And there's, again, anyone that lived out there, unless it was their first year there, knows what the hell. That, there was no mistaking that. that. That's crazy. Come on. Yep. Plus, why would you shoot at the fire people? Like, if your place is on fire, they're never going to come to your place. Why would you ever do that? It's just so dumb. Maybe you thought the helicopter was following them. It's okay. I don't even know, man. These days, you don't know. You know, like, fucking else. For real, that's the thing. We really, I don't want to speculate or anything because we really don't know the mental state of the other person. <laughs> it's tough though because this weather is really something else. I mean, it's it's difficult to describe how strange it was for like three days in a row. It got to the point that like I didn't want to go to the grocery store or anything the entire day. You know what I mean? Like I didn't even want to go to the car or anything. I just didn't want to bother. So it's like. Can you imagine like a week long event where it's like 115 degrees and then basically it's like 10 o'clock at night before you can go outside. So we're not even talking yeah. about people working outside, building houses, fixing broken plumbing lines, anything like the electrical something goes out. No, 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 no. We're just going to assume that everybody gets to sit inside all day. So what happens when you run out of everything? You run out of fucking food and drink and everything else. Just even that is fucking weird. You know what I mean? Like it's so strange. You walk out and it's just like walking into an oven. Like everything above like a hundred degrees, you notice like every single extra degree. I don't know. I, I guess I'm babbling right now, but it's just, it's so strange to go through. You know, like I've been in extreme heat a few times occasionally, like driving through Death Valley, but I mean, you know, you're going to be gone. And this is like, oh man, there's nowhere to go for like three, four days. You know, I can't yeah. imagine when these events will be like a week long, two weeks long. Oh, yeah, it, it literally people go crazy. We were talking about like last show, like up in the areas where they get a bunch of days and then a bunch of nights. 
just things happen. You right. don't sleep for a certain amount of time and you start getting loopy or drugs get involved and you're loopy as fuck. <laughs> a number of people I know, like I was actually somewhat lucky because the, the temperature was somewhat okay. You know, like I basically had the portable AC and so I kind of, you know, I managed it basically, but I had to kind of stay around the garden. So it was kind of that thing. Like couldn't really go anywhere because I didn't feel comfortable kind of leaving the garden. I was like, well, if anything happens, like the temperature is going to freaking raise. So basically I was stuck right next to my fucking garden. But where was I? Oh, I had friends that basically didn't even have that. They had like, you know, a one-story house or something like sun beaten right down on it. There's basically nothing they could do. No air conditioner would work. You know, like just what do you do in those circumstances? People in Oregon, Northwest Oregon, on average, the typical home doesn't have air conditioning. I mean, the other day it was hotter in Portland, Oregon than Mojave Desert in Cal. I've been to Mojave. You don't go there in the summertime, and certainly not when it's 115. That's why we absconded to the coast, you know, like wussies. But hey, you know, just get inside a motel or get on the coast, man. Get on the coast. It's still 90 here. Um, it was 94 today all day, so it's still getting hot. One thing I did learn, you know, everything should be a learning experience. And so for the last couple of years, three years, I've been in Costco. I'll see these uh, coffee machines. I'm going to mispronounce it, but I think it's Gehrig. The little. Oh, Gehrig or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the little canisters. Mm -hmm. So in this room in their quote unquote kitchenette, they had one of these Gehrig's with, I don't know what what flavor of coffee. Not that it really meant. It's kind of like going to dispensary. It doesn't really matter. Um, I have never, oh, maybe at a Denny's somewhere in Arkansas, I've never had coffee this shitty. I mean, it was just remarkable how bad it was. And I can think if people pay $40 for a case of these little <laughs> cans and then, well, you got to have like eight or nine, right? If you want a selection. So there's now you're almost $400 on just the goddamn coffee cans to make what this? Fuck. Just, you know, because I bought that burr. That, I got that coffee burr, and now I'm buying Portland uh, Brewery or Portland uh, Roasters. They're organic stuff at Costco now. So, like, the coffee comes out sublime. And then you get a Garrick, a cup of this shit. I mean, you couldn't even whoop it down. Brown water. But I got to say, like, we're going to piss off a bunch of people in the chat. They're going to be like, oh my God, you guys are fucking snobs. I can't stand that Quarig coffee, man. I can't stand it. It's like uh, it's crap. Like microwave food or something. Oh, there it is. Oh, there it is. I can't stand the little plastic yeah. cup that's got to be thrown away every every cup of coffee. Yeah. Right. I watched a uh, satire joke thing on uh, the Onion many years ago. It was about this coffee producer down in Colombia or wherever and he's talking about all the work he puts into his crop and the quality and everything and he says you know why I do this I do this so some asshole American company can take my product and grind it up into a, a powder and make instant coffee for somebody too lazy <laughs> anyway he just goes off about what, what, a, what a worthless life he has because everything he does just gets turned to shit by some corporation in America 
cracked me up. No, that is the worst coffee. I mean, if that's what you had to drink, switch to tea or I don't know, something really horrible like smoothies. You I understand know. why people are so into it, man. Shit, like uh, for something you drink every day, I mean, I get it that people want convenience and everything else. And so that's what it is. It's like this machine that they plop Our in. society's been victimized by convenience. I feel like it's a very good way to put it. They've been victimized by convenience because you save yourself arguably a couple minutes in the morning at the price of garbage coffee, lots and lots yeah. of garbage, costs a lot of money. Like, okay, I guess, I, I, I suppose you do have to be nerdy about anything. Like, how do I put this? I, as soon as I start to talk about this, I realize like, oh, I'm going to reveal my little nerd because you got to have a, a coffee grinder. There's step yeah. one. Then you basically have to have some coffee apparatus and probably a hot water machine. So for example, like a, a kettle. I mean, I suppose you could boil it on the stove. A lot of people actually do boil it on the stove, but a lot of people have an electric kettle then a grinder. And then for example, in my case, like an AeroPress. I mean, that still takes up less space than a koi rig, probably costs less money than a koi rig and makes eight times better coffee, maybe 50 times better coffee than a fucking koi rig. But I guess I can see how people will say like, oh, that's way too goddamn nerdy. I don't think it's too nerdy. Like it, 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 it takes me six minutes. Like I've done it before the show. I'm like, oh fuck, I got like seven minutes before the show to make a coffee. I'll make it in six minutes and I have enough time to walk downstairs. You know what I mean? That's like an AeroPress coffee that's good. No, I get you, but like, I've had the nice like Kenmore elites that grind into um, the basket for you and shit. Um, it's it's my mom still likes ground coffee, but I I like like different flavors of coffee, like hazelnut and stuff, and she mm-hmm. can't stand it. So I'd have to get yeah, hazelnut. Listen to your mother. <laughs> Listen to your mother. Your mother's giving you good advice. Okay. <laughs> I like it. I like your mom. I just I like hazelnut coffee, and she can't stand it. <laughs> Good for her. <laughs> Good for her. That's like cherry but, coke. Who comes up with this stuff? I like cherry that too. coke. Hey, hold on, cherry coke. Oh, vanilla coke's even worse than cherry. Oh, I'm sorry. Vanilla cherry coke. is worse than vanilla. Vanilla coke is okay during Christmas, like if you put a bunch of like cinnamon syrup in it and rum. And liquor, yes. <laughs> yeah, that was that was the best thing. It was it was a good chaser. Vanilla Coke and Cherry Coke are good chasers. Hold on, let me just interrupt you. Chasers are for pussies. Hey. Before the whole bottle in, man. Shit. I'm just teasing. Um, so I have we acid reflux about, problems. I did want to just circle back on something that was touched on earlier, just so people didn't think I was solely trying to push mammoth pee. Um, you can actually make phosphorus solubilizing bacteria. Uh, it is a type of Korean natural farming. Um, this particular version is Southeast Asian farming, um, but either way, same thing. Um, <clears throat> if you're trying to figure out how to do this, um, the recipe is collect water samples from natural environment, whisk an egg, two tablespoons of fish sauce, uh, half a tablespoon of MSG, add the two tablespoons of eggy fish mixture to 1.25 liters uh, in a plastic of water in a plastic bottle, uh, shake it up with the water sample and then bathe it in the sun for two to four weeks. Um, you, you'll end up uh, producing um, a, a red to pinkish um, bacteria that is um, uh, kind of isolates the phosphorus in a hyper bioavailable or hyper plant bioavailable, hyper plant bioavailable way. There, I said it properly. 
Um, so um, uh, it allows you to kind of make like a phosphorus booster uh, that is, uh, you know, much more in the way of KNF rather than like a, you know, synthetic nutrient or, you know, mined nutrient. Um, and it uh, is kind of one of the few ways that you can microbially add phosphorus to the system. Um, it is, uh, again, part of the whole KNF realm. So there's lots of different phosphorus uh, mineralizing microbes, not just mammoth pea. So if you don't Everybody like pea, there are other options. Have you ever played with that fish shit stuff? Yeah, I've seen I've seen it. the guys on my show, I've worked with it. You know, they gave me a bunch of samples to play with. Yeah. How'd you find, how'd you like it? It's all right. I mean, it's a stabilized fish poop. I mean, there's a couple of different products that are similar to it, but it's good. If you're soil growing and you haven't, you know, it's kind of like the first uh, way to get your foot wet and uh, towards aquaponics and, you know, hyper mineralized uh, organic hydroponics. So, you know, it will give you a lot of the benefits in terms of immediate nitrogen availability, uh, a lot of the microbial benefits and some of the other you know, hyper available mineral benefits that you get from that fish waste uh, in a way that, you know, anyone can apply to their soil grow and they don't have to do anything special. Uh, it's kind of a, a good way to kind of, uh, you know, tip your stick your toe into that, that realm that's what i figured i figured it was i, I just didn't exactly know because they their bottles are kind of plain to be honest so it doesn't really give you a lot of information <clears throat> but i figured it was just concentrated fish poop and like i do want to get a, like like I, they, I have a have, fish tank and shit if they solely had concentrated fish poop and then put a cap on it put it on a shelf eventually that bottle would explode so they do do some amount of stabilization on it. Okay. Well, I had, like you like you said, they gave out, I have a ton of free samples. The little we bottles. Had, we actually had an um, uh, interview with them. We did a whole hour, hour and a half with them, two hours. I don't remember how long their episode was, but you can check it out if you want to learn more from Yeah, me. look at that. Over on the Growing With Fishes podcast, if you want to. I should throw I know up. you are. I just did my uh, that presentation. I have all these nasty slides. Anyways, I didn't mean to cut you off there. No, Steve. I wanted to tell you about another uh, source of information. It's I don't remember the exact. Really, I'll give you what it is. You'll find it. If you go to the Washington State, and that's part of the name, Washington State Department of Agriculture, there, look for registration. And you can look up products either by the name of the manufacturer, which sometimes is tricky. Like if you wanted to look up Fox, Ocean Forest, you wouldn't look up Fox Farms. You'd have to look up the name, the parent name of the company, which gets fascinating. But on the other side, you can look up a product by its actual name. Uh, that's as it's shelved in a retail store or what have you. So there on each item, you will have a breakdown of the content of heavy metals, uh, whether the compost is made from, what do they call it when it's made from uh, industrial waste? Uh, bio, some, it's got some nice name, but it's crap. It's factory sludge and that kind of stuff. So 
here's how games are really played. Take a company in the, this in this case, it's uh, Miracle Grow. So they have a product that's called a something something, and it has the MPK. And there's a, a difference on one of the products has a different NPK than the other one. Okay, so at first you think, well, that doesn't mean anything. We're talking one tenth of a point. But when you get into the actual list of what it's made from and find out that this is bio sludge and this one's made from dairy solids, we're talking two whole worlds. And so the average consumer, well, that's, yeah, it's that organic stuff there, right there. Yeah, give me that one. What do you and, want me to look at? Okay, so uh, there, go uh, go to anything that you're familiar with. And uh, that's, it doesn't matter. But, okay. So there's a question, do you, do you get microbes from putting local forest uh, floor litter through a worm bin and using the castings? So you would get like beneficial microorganisms well, you can add wood that's, that's fungal food, but here's the problem. I live where it's, we don't have leaves like you do. We have conifers. You want to really fuck up your compost, add pine needles to your compost. Now I'll get somebody, oh, no, I've been using it for years, man. I grow dank. Well, the acidity levels in conifer, not leaves, but, you know, uh, the needles. Yeah. There are fungi that you, that do, dwell on conifer but they're not the kind that we're going to have in our soils so you got like fir is a lot different than pine oh yeah and aspen's a lot different than you know uh, the some of the really horrible stuff on the east coast uh the pines the especially the ones that okay here's a good example years ago you had uh fox farm ocean forest right best goddamn soil in america if you don't use this you can't get dankity dank brother well, they're, uh, pretty soon their uh, orders exceeded their production levels, so they built a plant in one of the Carolinas, and I don't remember which, north or south, doesn't matter. But guess what? There's a big difference between redwood chips and, what do you guys call it, salt pine? or oh, There's some name. Anyway, I didn't bother with it because I, I never use that crap anyway, but I'm just saying I didn't bother putting too much research in it because the tree doesn't grow here. But there's a world of difference between these two products. I don't care what the label on the bag says. Look at the ingredients. One's redwood and the other one's whatever it was, some kind yeah. of pine. Okay. Some pines produce like two uh, terpenes. It might be terpenoids, I don't remember. But pinene, uh, alpha pinene and beta pinene, both. When it gets hit with a, a boring insect like a beetle, the plant, the tree combines those two and creates turpentine. That's probably not something you want to add to your compost pile. See what I mean? It's like growing mushrooms. You do a good job for most of them with uh, oak is the big one. Uh, but if you're lucky enough to live on the West Coast and get aspen, you'd want to use aspen. You certainly wouldn't use pine, you know, or a mesquite. Out of, oh, I know, I'm going to grow some mesquite. Uh, Cubensis. Oh, that'll work out great, man. Because you know they get the only know, thing I know those are good for is smoking meat. <laughs> yeah, and even then. But anyway, but, uh, so pick up Miracle Grow. Go under manufacturers because this will be really difficult. Uh, go under, and then you can find it. 
and you can see how the game's played with the MPK numbers yeah. to, to comport yeah, with state uh, registration laws. You had me curious. Oh, I must have passed it. I was going to look up fish shit and see if it was in here. It's a great resource. It's, I've settled a lot of arguments on their wonder products. Really? You, that's what's in it, huh? And so then you get the whole, uh, you know, the mustards. Uh, here it is. And what's ironic, these are fivings by the manufacturer, not analysis. It's not like they take it like you would into a lab and do an analysis. Just like your MSDS, that is supplied by the company, not through investigation by the Department of Ag or whichever agency is responsible for that product. Just what remember. What is it you want me to look up? Oxfam. Oh, anything Miracle Grow. Or Miracle Grow, sorry. I'm fucking muted. Uh, the thing is, what you're doing right now, Kud, is I feel like the opposite of what a lot of folks do. They uh, they engage in what would I call it? Um, jibber jabber. Yeah, uh, Mr. T says, "Ain't no time for that jibber jabber." Uh, Ponics, I think, has called it a cargo cult uh, mentality before. I, I think it's like, um, I don't know if this makes any sense, but I've called it like a black black box mentality where basically they don't know what's inside this magic box and they- Schrodinger's like, cat. Uh, pardon? Schrodinger's cat. Yeah, like uh, as soon as they look in, they'll sort of lose the sense of wonder even in this case, basically. It'll be like, oh, now I know what the answer is. Uh, there's a lot of the- how do I put this? Um, they want to assume that the nutrient bottle that they buy. Let me enter. Uh, let me uh, talk to Steve for a minute. Steve, okay, look in the right column where under reported metals. Okay, then down below that it says waste derived, and that's what you have. Among the other things you want to consider is where are you getting this compost? There's a world of difference between industrial sludge and dairy solids, as the term is used. Don't ask. But shit, man. But you know, this is a really good resource because what's inside the box, you know what this is made of, and I think a lot of people don't simply want to even look this stuff up. Of course not. It's easier to live in a fantasy world and talk about growing dank, and you know, okay. Remember the guy that used to be? He was. uh, What was his name? One of the biggest breeders, uh, dog was in his name and he got popped. Uh, but he had everybody believing that he lived in Spain, drove a Ferrari, going to find out he was in an apartment in goddamn Portland, Maine, you know, and just, we had like three or four subcontractors. Res dog, you know, do you remember the res dog story? Oh man, he was living in Spain. We're driving a Ferrari. Come to find out, he's you know just pumping seeds in, in bulk, shipping them to Gypsy Nirvana over at uh, whichever one of his operations, seed uh, seed boutique or seed bay, whatever. Yeah, Mister Connected, living in in, in, a, in a three bedroom apartment. He was flying it out of Logan Airport. Yeah. Why would? Let me ask you a question. Why would anybody in Europe want to receive a 20 kilo pack, which is 44 pounds of seeds in bulk? Wouldn't you want them in packages? Wouldn't you want the little names on there? 
But if you got them in bulk, you'd be able to put them in any bag you wanted, wouldn't you? If you hung yeah. out at, at weed boards about 10 years ago, the constant complaint was, well, my plants sure don't look like the pictures. Guess what, honey? They never will. You know, you bought a pig in a poke. You know, yeah. it might be, it could be, you never know. Fuck. That's what we've been trying to warn, you know, like uh, Smash now will be like, well, no, mine are better. Uh, Smash, we're not trying to attack your seeds. There's a lot of that stuff from Holland, some of these other breeders. I've heard some bad things about some breeders. You always I tell Holland, I use one breeder from Spain. It's, well, it's, a lot of it's as well, Spain and Holland. I, I, honestly, all the European, it's basically Spain and Holland, I think, are the two main places right now. Like, both those places are kind of known for not really caring too much about quality, as far as I know. Like, uh, it's not well, that yeah, there will never be quality. There will definitely be quality. There probably already is quality, but the the... There's even problems in Canada. So much of it that it's not. What's that? There's even problems in Canada. For sure, for sure. No, don't get me started. There's tons of shitty breeders in America too. So I mean, there's tons. That's different because it's just shitty breeders. But the 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 mentality of just like getting seeds in a bag and just like repackaging. Oh no, I'm talking about that. I'm talking about repurposing. Like we've I've heard from multiple breeders now that people are buying bulk seeds and selling them off as their seeds. You know what I mean? More and more the case. You're right. So, yeah, the same thing will happen here, too, now. So now that I talk about all high mighty, like, oh, you know, our seeds are better. Well, for now, you know. I remember so we'll see. I was at a weed show about four or five years ago. Uh, the Indoor Garden Expo. The, at that time, that was a big one before we had the real ones like, you know, Canacon and WeedCon and can I do your old lady con or, you know, I don't know, whatever, but, uh, this guy behind the little, you know, at the booth thing, he was pumping or pimping, uh, what do you call it? Uh, a house and garden. And here was his pitch line. This comes from some of the best growers in Holland. I said, that means absolutely nothing. You guys are responsible for that nightmare in 86, the first high, high times cup that made, uh, skunk number one, the best weed in the world. The best weed in the world. Of course, that was until Kyle Cushman retired from high times and started growing something growing in strawberry fields and it took on the terpenes of the fruit. I mean, do people really buy this shit? Do they really believe yeah. this stuff? So, so Coot, did you ever write for them? Because I wrote for them for a bit. Should we talk no, about I did. For, I did for Overgrow. Okay. The, old, the real so, old. I, I wrote about a dozen well actually more than a dozen articles for them but they only ever paid me for three you got paid oh yeah oh wow cool i well, guess there you the, go i wrote oh, the one i wrote for overgrow am i, am I lucky the, should yeah, I just, oh yeah you're, you're dancing man the guy the one that i was in writing in the era of Vic high when he was writing at overgrow and uh Bushy old grower was still around living in a cave somewhere. I don't know what that whole story was, but uh, who are some of the other characters out of that era? Oh, yeah, Shanti Baba right out of Georgia. He all of a sudden he became like, you know, really heavy and groovy because he was working for uh, Neville. And can then I, can I also it, say that uh, Danny Denko copy and pasted three of my articles? Oh, yeah. Hey, I got one better one for you. Okay, the two guys that were behind the Vega Matrix was uh, Kyle Cushman 
and the hash guy. Oh, Matt Rise. Okay, so they hit the scene. They they landed at all of them. You know, IC Mag, Grass City, TAC Farmer, and they're pushing this whole Vega Matrix thing, right? And then they even had a uh, they bought went and bought a website called Medical Marijuana dot com or something like that. real smart move that was the only smart thing they did right so kyle was smart enough to stay away from the boards because he would you know make mistakes and give out too many secrets but matt was just like a bundle of information so i helped him out one day and i knew how to trace shipments arriving on the ports of the west coast and when they left in what port out of China or India, depending on the commodity. And so their Vega matrix line turned out to be manufactured at the Wuhan uh, factories that manufacture for other fertilizer companies. And they just, you know, load it in a 55 gallon barrel, take it down to the port and put it on containers, right? And I even traced it to when it arrived in the US, at what dock, time of the day, all that stuff. And when it went to the packing house, which is where it's unloaded and the stuff is put into bottles and diluted with water. And then you put the label on it. Now it's, it goes from costing 20 cents a gallon to, well, in some cases, a thousand dollars a gallon, you know, depends who, uh, how bad you're, you know, screwing your customer base. But what you have to have though, is a really good cadre of sock puppets to get on and whine and cry about, oh, my life changed the day I bought this, this, this horse piss is just the best thing that ever happened. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, let me see your weed and a picture of the weed up and uh, Jesus Christ, man, get a new hobby. You know, take up uh, skateboarding or. Uh, Since we're talking about whining and crying, um, I just wanted to give a shout out to Mr. Scatola. He spent literally over an hour talking about me instead of his own company on his own presentation. Who's that? Talk about your own shit, dude. That's, that's living red free. I'm just worried about God getting involved on this uh, amendment thing because I don't really like. Man. Actually, I, I think Rick and Morty are on that, though. I don't hey, think that's really you know, Yesterday. When it comes to people at your door, the best ones to get are the Jehovah's Witness, and I'll tell you why. Okay, so they usually come to your house on Saturdays, right? And it's usually the husband and the wife, and they will not take no for an answer. And so, And sometimes they bring their kids even. You know, because it's got a family. We're going to go out and say, people for God, man, let's get the whole family on this. So what you do is, well, you got two choices. One, if you have a lot of dogs, you let them go as soon as they get out of the car. <laughs> now, you do that with Mormons on bicycles, you know, chase them down the road. Okay, but the Jehovah's Witnesses, you answer the door and you say, hey, baby, I said it was okay if your husband watched me, man, the kids, that's just too weird for me. You know, and something like that. They mark your house with some kind of sign. And you'll never hear from him again. So I had this, I should write all this down and publish it so people will know how to get rid of wackos that come to their door. <laughs> yeah, for the guys on the bicycles, it's dogs. A couple of Roddies chasing them down the street, you know, kind of like in that scene from uh, Wizard of Oz when she's trying to get away from the storm, you know, the witch. So, yeah.
the other fun thing to do is you give them glasses of water with LSD and you yeah. sit down and you let them talk and you figure out how long it takes to kick in. It's All right, really here's my favorite LSD story. I bought a vial of LSD in like 677, 78, and it was pure right from the, the cookers. So the big question was, so what, now what are you going to do with it now, dickhead? Uh, fuck. So a couple of days, three days later, whatever, went to this Italian deli in Huntington Beach and they had a big, those big uh, glass jars, cookie jars, and it was full of dried uh, Italian mushrooms, porcinis. And I'm looking at them. I said to the guy behind the counter, he was a, it was a family owned, you know, they're all Italians that worked there. Oh, these are the finest porcinis, you know, they're handpicked. Yeah, 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 yeah. How much are they a pound? And so he told me, and I, I said, you know, well, give me like a quarter cup. So I wanted to look at them to see if they were consistent size. Anyway, so what we ended up doing with them is that we applied the LSD to the mushrooms. Okay. And sold them like fire. And like months and almost years later, those were the strongest mushrooms I ever had. Well, yeah, I guess so. I was LSD. I didn't mean to say that, but I've been thinking to myself, well, yeah, what well, had nothing to do with mushrooms. But I mean, what was I going to do is put it on, uh, you know, sugar cubes like they did in 64. You know? That's what we still do. We put it on Skittles or something, like sour Skittles or sour, like oh, sour patch kids. No, 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 no. <laughs> do they fuck everything up? <laughs> I mean, is this like, are they on a mission? Jesus Christ, man. Drop some, the best drop acid some I've ever had came plain white sheet. Um, well, there's your from, first one. Yeah, it was a plain white sheet, and I've got actually got the best acid and the best weed I've ever bought off someone from these people. At a Love. festival, I should say. I was at a festival. <laughs> okay, here's, and you can look this up. Please do. Okay. Challenge everything. The biggest uh, seller uh, of LSD was Orange Sunshine. Made by uh, Tim Sand, and I can't remember the other guy. They're both dead now. Um, it was actually ALD, another compound, ergo, that uh, Dr. Hoffman had isolated out of the same testing when he discovered the LSD. The advantage to uh, ALD is that it was more stable, so they could press it into pills and they could ship it around the world. LSD was very, very, it is very unstable. So it's, it's doesn't hold its, uh, you know more about this than I would see, but it doesn't hold its molecular integrity for wide, widespread distribution. So the last LSD that was manufactured, now I'm not saying there aren't cookers now, but the, as far as the scene that started in, in Millbrook in 1960 with Leary and and uh, the guy that later became Ram Dost, uh, Dr. Richard Alpert, uh, Osley, the whole group, right? At, at Millbrook outside of Harvard. You know where Millbrook is. Hell, you live in that part of the world. That's where the whole LSD thing started. And so that thing with the, the sugar cubes and all that stuff, 
All that died the day that Osley got busted in Laguna Beach and went away to federal prison for many, many, many years. It was unfair. It wasn't right. But that's another. He was taking a hit. And that's that's another story. But anyway, yeah, check it out. ALD 52, uh, Orange Sunshine. And these guys were adding at the trial. Here was their defense. Well, you can't charge us with LSD because that's what we weren't. We weren't manufacturing that. We were manufacturing ALD. A federal judgment slapped them down on that one real quick. But in their in their uh, information, or you know, uh, they were admitting to adding strychnine and other shit to the acid to increase the the effect. Uh, Scully and uh, what was the other guy's name? Oh, Nick Sand. Yeah, Tim Scully and Nick Sand couple of pair to draw to uh, putts and nuts. You could go, you could find that stuff in India in, in 1972 in Goa. People don't drop an acid in Goa for Christ's sake. I mean, not, well, it wasn't acid. It was just LD 52. Neil uh, talks about uh, orange sunshine, finding it or finding her its way to uh, her cafe in, um, in uh, Amsterdam and to Goa and in yeah in her in her book yeah she's telling you the truth so I'll be honest with you I took acid when I was thirteen it deprogrammed me from a lot of prejudice and hate that I was taught to be like not from my parents but from the church that I was raised up in it was pretty hateful and it, and it helped deprogram me in an afternoon and it was one of the best things that ever happened to me. I was, a, and I, to a degree, I still am. Um, you know, I, my, I, I've mentioned this book a hundred times. I'll do it again because I think like somebody, especially like you, would benefit from it. But Dr. Hoffman's book on, it, the title says it all. It's LSD, My Problem Child. And it's really an interesting analysis because it's after all his research and, and the work he did with mushrooms in the 50s. He's the one that named, for Christ's sake, psilocybin and psilocin, identified the two, uh, uh, what is beta-glucans, right? Kind of getting older. But whatever, the, 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 the active agents that's in mushrooms. But at the end of his life, and he lived to be like 105, he died up here in Seattle. Uh, that was where he spent the last 20 years of his life. Um, he was almost remorseful that it was never his intent to create a party drug. Um, he was pursuing something, you know, he's the guy when he, think about this, he graduated at the age of 22 with a PhD from Cologne University in chemistry. He uh, figured out the molecular structure of chitin. Now, chitin had been used for years by the dental industry for sewing up sutures, uh, oral surgery. And it's still used in internal and external. Uh, yeah. That was ketamine. Group. Ketamine's a huge party drug that's medically used all over the place. No, no, chitin. No, I'm talking about chitin. Oh. Uh, and that's where we get, anyway, that's another part. But anyway, um, at the age of 22, Two, he deciphered the molecular uh, structure, not formula, but the structure. So he was immediately hired by Sandoz Labs 
and he uh, moved to uh, seems like that always happens. And that's where he was trying to. He was working on a uh, migraine headache cure. That it's either they and he had him. He had the samples in envelopes, and they were numbered. And when he got up to twenty three. It was kind of or 24 it was like over because nothing was showing up or working you know whatever there was no reason to continue the research and then a couple years later on a rainy night he took out pack 25 and that's where the 25 in lsd 25 comes from it was the 25th pack of sample of this rye uh, ergo that he was going to work with and the rest is history and then 15 years later, he was invited by this international uh, group to take a look at these mushrooms that had been discovered in Oaxaca about five or six years later. This is like um, 1957. By, by, by a lady named Maria Sabina. Yes, yes, that's correct. Her little children, as she calls them, called them. Um, and he was the one invited to do the research on these mushrooms and did under contract with, you know, uh, Sandoz. But he's the one that named, like I said, psilocybin and psilocin. And that's pretty amazing to have done that in one lifetime, much less to do it within 15 years. Um, but you would like that book because I think that it's like, he was not only trying to be honest with his, the readers, his students or whatever you want to call us but he was also trying to uh, bring a sense of peace to him himself it wasn't his idea that we were all going to find nirvana at ten dollars a hit on the streets you know in 67 the summer of love that was as far removed from this guy was an intellect on so many levels He was born a genius. You don't graduate with a PhD at the age of 22. That's you get that when you're about 30. If you're lucky. Yeah, you notice one of the best lawyers around here sold coke and like brought it in and cooked it. Like you notice that he's smart, a genius. Like this guy knows law back and forth and chemical properties like it's crazy and you notice that these people end up doing amazing things <laughs> in the end like he's fighting for he's a really good drug offense lawyer you know what i mean mm -hmm. and that's what his passion is about i call Saul. when timothy leary lived in laguna beach and his son ran, at that time, the world's largest head shop owned by the Brotherhood. It was called Mystic Arts World. And Timothy Leary's kid was put in charge of it. Um, wow. Uh, anyway, so Leary lived back in the canyon. And all he did was bring heat down. Because the feds wanted, this is like 68, 69. And it was Christmas Eve, 69. They grabbed him, ready for this? For some seeds in the floorboard of his car. We're talking seeds, cannabis seeds. That's how he ended up in federal prison. Leading me to 
understand and believe that when they want you, they want you and they're going to take you. I think he got like 25 years. I mean, he didn't do that long. I'm just saying that was the sentence under federal law. That's what we grew up with. You got pulled over by LA County sheriffs and you get two or three seeds in the floorboard because some dickhead rolling the joints with his yellow straw, wheat straw papers, zigzags, and he drops seeds in your floorboard. You might be going to jail or at least get fucked with by the LA County sheriffs. Oh yeah, fun times. It's crazy what we do now. Like, I don't care if there's weed in my car anymore. Yeah, I've lived so many years in a legal state where I've had a license where it's like, cool, you pull me over, here's my card, fuck off. It's something I wouldn't give any thought to. It's in essence, it's been legal here for 50 years, um, even when it wasn't. It was just not a big deal. And we voted as on a ballot initiative. We voted on uh, legalizing marijuana in 72. I mean, that's amazing. We're also lucky to have a pretty chill police department around here. It's that's what I mean. Yeah, exactly. And there's, and there's sections of Oregon that aren't. Uh, chill. I mean, you get over in Eastern Oregon, it's Republic Bubba land. And, you know, even now you get, but it's like Portland is, I remember the first time I came here, I was driving downtown and a guy standing on a street corner in the evening waiting for a bus to go home, you know, catch, because his bus is going everywhere at that time of the day downtown. He's standing there smoking a bong, waiting for his bus. I went, this has got to be a pretty cool place. So, so when they did pass the medical marijuana thing, they, they had uh, allowed things like a pound and a half. You were limited to a pound and a half on your person, meaning you could have it on the fr you know uh, front seat of your car. So, since we're talking about uh, people that do good things around this type of medicine, if you guys yep. aren't familiar, uh, please, please, please check Thank out you. Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies. Yep. They are the authority when it comes to proper medical research around psychedelic medicine in terms of end-of-life care, uh, PTSD treatment. In fact, they're the ones that have helped spearhead, and currently they're helping us for funding to help fund uh, phase three clinical trials for PTSD with MDMA, right? So they're the ones, if you want to actually make a difference, they're the people to support. Um, they actually put medicine and science it together comes. along with legislation that moves things forward for patients that matter. Um, they are, are really the, the, the group that really is, is, is heads and above, above uh, ahead of everybody else. I've been to a couple of the different conferences. That's where I met my first fiance was at a, uh, an after party for a MAPS conference in New York City um, <laughs> uh, as these things happen um, a long time ago. That was the first one of two. Um, anyways, long story. But um, the uh, but it's an amazing group, and um, they really do uh, put forth a lot of stuff. A lot of you guys know that I have an amazing book. In fact, let me grab it here while we're talking about it. Um, Maps also puts out a lot of literature, so they actually have this amazing book, the um, uh, Ethnopharmological Search for Eth. Or, the Ethnopharmacological Search for uh, Psychoactive Drugs, um, edited by Timoth, uh, Dennis McKenna. 
along with Sir Gilliam Prance and Benjamin D. Loren and Wade Davis. And it's a two volume set. It's the original one. And then 50 years later, the second one that they put on when they did their massive symposium. It's kind of a collection of white papers organized by species of, of origin or, or co medical compound. Um, so that you can look up, you know, the origins of different compounds and, and synthesis, traditional uses, preparations, uh, proper dosing, uh, toxic, to you know, toxic dosing, and all that other types of important information. It's one of the best books you can get into if you're trying to learn more about your own um, uh, psychedelic experiences. So definitely a, a, an amazing book and an amazing group to support if you do want to support the the movement.